0: It's a cold war, cold as ice. we even know its true nature
1: is to lose. This is knowledge divided.
0: All I have for you is a gesture in combination with a word, tenor.
2: Use it carefully.
3: It'll open the right doors, but some of the wrong
2: ones, too. now playing the movie review podcast i told you you'd have to start looking differently at the world hosted by arnie i'm not the man they send to negotiate or the man they send to make deals but i am the man people talk to jacob we have a nation to hold and stewart i'm the protagonist of this operation today we are reviewing christopher nolan's tenant don't try to understand it feel it This podcast is spoiler-filled and may contain harsh language. It seems bold. Bold, I'm fine with. I thought you were going to say nuts. Listener discretion is advised. This is cowboy shit. You have no idea what you're getting yourself into if you go through that door. Well, I'm going, so any tips will be welcome.
3: Today, we're discussing Tenet. Starring John David Washington, Robert Pattinson... Elizabeth Debicki, Dimple Kapadia, Michael Caine, and Kenneth Branagh, directed by Christopher Nolan. This is your boy Arnie, the now-playing co-host who lives in a twilight world. Twilight with Robert Pattinson, apparently. And this is Stuart, and in order to do what I do... I need a
1: whole lot of shit explained.
0: And this is your co-host, Jacob. And I, guys, I just can't wait to talk about reverse chronology, like Feynman and Wheeler's notion that a positron is an electron moving backwards in time. And yes, I'm going to talk like this the entire podcast.
3: <laughs> Are you playing Bane? <laughs> I'm just in
0: a Christopher Nolan movie. You're in a Twilight world. I'm in a Nolan world where well, you can't understand anything. Oh boy, yes.
1: <laughs> that will have to be a part of this conversation. Maybe
0: the only part of the con- I got so much to say about it. Yeah.
1: But welcome back. Christopher Nolan is fighting the future. He seems to believe that in a world where streaming is going to be during a pandemic, he can release this expensive IMAX film and expect millions of people to go to the movie theaters.
0: But we waited. Yeah, released
3: a movie about the end of the world during the end of the world. What an upper. (laughs) Should Nolan have released this? Because I do feel that the story surrounding this movie's release got as much press as the movie itself and its reviews did because it seemed that Nolan was declaring himself cinema messiah. He was going to be the one to bring back the movie experience. Everyone was going to just break down the doors to see this non-franchise original concept from Christopher Nolan and get over their fears about this silly pandemic and go see Tenet.
1: I hear a lot of editorial in there. I'm not sure that's exactly what he was saying. That's, that's what I'm hearing a non-Nolan thinking about having to go to the movie theater, maybe. Mm-hmm.
0: I, it really did feel like, guys, I'm going to save the movie industry. Everyone's going to come back for my movie, which sure, I wasn't buying into. Look, when I looked at the box office for his other films, yes, Nolan films make a lot of money, but it's not Avengers. It seems like a weird thing to be the tentpole that's going to bring butts back into the seats. A weird, time-twisting Christopher Nolan film. And in the middle of a pandemic, come out to the theaters. I think, you want some editorial, I think he killed theaters more than saved them.
1: Here's all I would say. It's twofold. One, we spent a lot of money on this film and I'm not sure we can recoup it just on streaming and home viewings. And two, maybe related to that is we redesigned IMAX cameras. We rigged them in places that they had never been before. It would be a real shame if people never got to see this. And IMAX. And I do think that, yes, in pushing to have his movie seen the way that he wanted to, he was also hoping that he could keep movie theaters afloat, which that is still a crime investigation scene. I'm not sure that that patient is going to live. I mean, next week we're covering Wonder Woman 1984. Watching it at home. A movie that swore... It wasn't coming out until it could be in movie theaters. Maybe there's three of them in this country that are going to air it, but more and more, I think you're right. It's looking like the future is telling Nolan you're going to have to think
3: smaller. Should Nolan have waited? I mean, it's not like there was a gun to his head firing a reverse bullet saying you must release Tenet in 2020.
0: Oh, no, no, there was. He he had to beat Russell Crowe's Unhinged to theaters because they wanted to bring everyone back. They wanted to be the ones who saved theaters.
3: Unhinged opened a week earlier. Here's the
1: thing that we can't know. I don't know what the bottom line was for Warner Brothers and profit margins. But stuff has come out about the Bond movie and how, like, every month that they don't open it, it becomes a more and more expensive movie. I don't know what it meant for the investors and the time frame for getting this movie out. It's a super expensive movie, and I'm sure there was a lot of pressure to create some kind of summer movie experience. Like, that was, like, they kept moving it. Every month, it was like, coming in July,
3: maybe August. We're trying for September. and I was reading all the trades. Nolan, personally, was pushing for this to come out. Warner wanted him to delay this, just like they were delaying every other film. Nolan, specifically, was like, no, I want this movie out. He was arguing with the brass to get this pushed. And, you know, the result is... It made a lot of money in China, but it still was a huge disappointment and money loser overall from everything I read. And here's what we can never know, or maybe the a machine, we can go into
1: it and (laughs) see that other timeline at some point, but would this have ever been a hit? I mean, this movie is not summer popcorn fair, and maybe we've come to expect Christopher Nolan to have an elevated sense about his entertainment, but there's challenging and then there's tenet. I mean, I definitely feel like a whole crowd of people are never going to get on board with this movie.
0: And I think this would have had a great opening weekend box office. And then the word of mouth would have got out because th- that's all that I heard. Like you, the word of mouth being you can't understand any of the words coming out of anyone's mouth in this film. Because <laughs> that's all I heard because I couldn't see it because, unless I drove an hour to a drive-in theater. So like by the time I would have been able to see this, like I had not heard anything good.
3: Well, I did go see this in IMAX, I knew we were reviewing it, I knew some of this was filmed in IMAX, and I wanted to see it the way Nolan wanted me to see it. I was going to go through his experience, so I did see this in IMAX, and then yes, I saw it on streaming with subtitles turned way on. I saw it too in IMAX, but just to
1: clarify, I saw it way back when I saw New Mutants, a movie that they tell me I saw. I don't even remember that film, but like like a long time ago. There was a bear.
0: Accents, lots of accents that you could understand, unlike this one.
1: We really talked about, should we all go? Can we see this film? Do we want to tell people that they need to go to a movie theater? There was a lot of ethics connected with it, but I think we did the right thing. For lots of reasons, I benefited by waiting a couple months and then being able to have it come out on Blu-ray, being able to turn on that closed captioning is a godsend. It will be a transformative experience (laughs) when you know what people are saying.
0: Yeah, I could have seen this at the same drive-in theater I saw New Mutants at. I'm glad I didn't because I couldn't imagine trying to listen to this this audio mix over an FM radio. Like that wow, talk about not being able to understand anything. But I've watched it <laughs> twice. Like I wanted to have that theater experience. So the first time I put this in to watch it, No subtitles. I just put it in. I'm like, let's see if they fix the mix. Let's see if people are overblowing that whole thing with you can't understand anything. Then I had to watch it again with subtitles and and take notes for this podcast because I couldn't understand anything.
1: We were right. We didn't oversell the idea because I think both Arnie and I came back and we try not to talk about a movie before we've had the show but we both were just like, I couldn't understand anything. And and I, I think that's universal. I think it's by design. And we can talk about why Christopher Nolan might want to torture his audience So as we get into it. But I do think that this movie loves its secrets and loves to conceal them. The one thing that I did to help myself in between watching the IMAX experience and preparing for the recording tonight was I did watch the movie again. But before I did... I read the script. I just wanted to understand as it was written, how Nolan put it all down and described it on paper. And then I also purchased a book called The Secrets of Tenet. By the way, the secret is we're going to take you for $45 more (laughs) There's really not a whole lot of answers as to what's going on in this movie. It's a lot about celebrating the technicians that brought it to the screen. And so there was just a lot of description about the costumes, the sets, how they did some of the effects... But really not a whole lot of what I think I was looking for. As well as I also did the one bonus feature on the disc. It's about a 75-minute documentary that regurgitated that same information. And the, th- the theme is, guys, you won't believe it by looking at this movie. Everyone was tired. It was really hard to make this movie. Everyone was exhausted trying to figure out how to do their already hard jobs backwards. I can honestly say this. I wasn't looking to be challenged the way that this movie was challenging people. People really wanted escapism. I think the movie to open would have been one in which we could forget and turn our brains off. Like Wonder
0: Woman 1984, probably.
1: Much better idea. because I mean, I haven't seen that movie yet, but I just feel like this movie is super demanding at a time where I'm wondering if like the person next to me is going to give me COVID and kill me. I mean, I just feel like... I couldn't give myself to the film in my IMAX experience because it was asking way more than any movie theater goer should be asked to do. And that includes me. I mean, I came out very cranky, and I'm the Nolan fan.
0: It was hilarious, because Arnie saw it first, and he's like, yeah, I didn't really like it, but Stuart, you'll probably love it. And then Stuart sees it the next week, and he's like, Arnie, what are you smoking? I'm right with you.
3: (laughs) Who knows if we're saying the same thing this time. We have all had time to research and digest, but I came out of it feeling I was going to get beat up, because... I was seeing so many positive things online from critics, I was seeing in my circle of online friends positive things being said, and I went and I'm like, ah crap, here we go, another Arnie Pinata show where Arnie's going to be the minority, this movie is not as good as everyone's saying, it's an emperor with no clothes show, and then it's like, everybody's like, no, I see the wang. Yeah, I mean, I
1: definitely felt like it was super problematic, but what I couldn't be sure about, because again, I saw it the way that I did, and with the audio problems...
0: Not audio problems! That was designed that way.
1: Well, I I call it an audio problem, and the problem may be Christopher Nolan, but because he wanted to drown out the exposition... It really was a super frustrating... I couldn't be sure whether it was a bad movie disguising its badness or whether there was something good there but the movie was trying to be too clever by making it something we had to see four or five times instead of getting it in one viewing. Now, the other thing that I did in the meantime, I felt like I wanted to revisit. I wanted to do them all. I really wanted to have a Nolan Marathon and my time frame just doesn't allow for that. But I thought it was important to see three again. Memento, Inception, and Interstellar. In part because I wanted to see if those first two held up. I hadn't seen Inception since theaters. I hadn't seen Memento since we did the retrospective in 2014. And Interstellar because that was another case of a movie where I walked away saying Green Arrow... And as the years rolled on, I was like, did I like that movie? I don't think I like that movie at all. Like the problems (laughs) with that thing kept magnifying. And I was like, I need to get some perspective on that movie because it seems to me, and we were kind of saying that, that Nolan seems to be on a downward trend, that his more recent films aren't as successful artistically as those initial clever playing with time. You know, he loves time play and I do too. But is it a trick that's gotten old was something that I wanted to know. Going back to his first uses of it and then seeing Interstellar. Obviously, I don't think Interstellar is as good as Memento or Inception. But I will say I I stand by my reviews. All three are green arrows. I did feel like there was parts of Interstellar I did really like. And it's all jumbled up with other stuff that I don't. And so it is a really mixed bag experience. I think I'm right to call it. My least favorite, Nolan, next to Dark Knight Rises, which again, I've never seen since theaters. I haven't even gone back to that one since 2012. But I still feel like he's got a pretty good average at this point. I have
3: no red arrows. I didn't go back. The one I wanted to go back to was Inception. I think that my favorite Nolan movies... It's hard for me to even rank them, but The Dark Knight, Inception, and Memento are three of his movies I absolutely love. And when I saw the trailers for Tenet, I'm like, you know, after Interstellar and Murph and Dunkirk? I'm like, he's getting back to what looked like that Inception kind of vibe, only instead of cities folding upon themselves and building out in this M.C. Escher kind of way— We were going to have things going backwards, but it looked like an action film that would be a smart action film. There was even rumors that it was a sequel, a secret sequel to Inception. Yeah, I went to see this in IMAX because I actually was excited thinking that this could be his next Inception. I haven't liked a movie of his very much since Inception. They're all kind of like, all right, but I really thought Tenet was going to be his return to form. And I went before I heard a lot of the grumblings about the audio mix. The interesting thing about
1: going back to Memento is that the opening shot of that movie, I don't know if you guys remember, I didn't, but it is like a scene from Tenet. Like, it's Guy Pierce sucking up a bullet into his gun. It's played in reverse, him killing Joey Pants. And that... I think is where the idea for this started. Christopher Nolan said it had been bubbling around in his mind for about 20 years, and it has literary roots. I know that normally in Now Playing, we say you don't need to read the book to understand the movie, but let's do it because it's only five words long. I think we can just
3: take the time to see where Tenet came from. You're getting it here, listeners. A bonus audiobook (laughs) in the middle of your movie review. Exactly.
1: I I guess in Pompeii, the ancient Roman city that was, you know, covered in volcanic ash and everyone was killed. When they dug that up, they found this stone tablet. It's known as the Sator Stone. Five words, five letters, arranged one on top of each other. And it's kind of a palindrome puzzle. Sator, Arepo, Tenet opera, Rhodus. If you read it left to right, or if you read it top to bottom, or if you read it backwards, it all says the same thing. And no one's quite sure, as far as I can tell, no one is quite sure what it means or, or why it exists, but they found this Seder stone in other places, and so it's been this sort of historical word game mystery. And I do think that Nolan was attracted to this for a couple reasons. One, it's connected to a civilization that was thriving and then suddenly was wiped out. That's going to be a big theme in this movie. And then I can take all of these words and important names and I can incorporate them in a spy story in which it's important to look at things going forward as much as it is important to look backwards. And then the other thing I think that really inspired him and helped this script come together, because he hadn't written a thing until he made Interstellar, was he was working with physicist Kip Thorne. And that was when they really got into a discussion about how time inversion might work. And, you know, way above my head, I don't think I could explain it, what I read, but the, the thing I got out of it, the thing that he hitched his wagon to was that the laws of physics are symmetrical and that you know time is the same going forwards or backwards except for the fact of entropy and so if you can control entropy you unlock chronological motion. And that was the thing that made him go, I need to come up with something that is all built around controlling, flipping entropy. And then I can do the kind of fun stuff that, yeah, I think he was thinking about Inception, Arnie. This was one of those movies he did for him in between his more pop-born Batman kind of films.
3: Yeah. I did a little bit of research into the physics on it. I'm not a physicist. I read some articles where physicists dumbed it down and discussed entropy and that Einstein felt like we experience time in one direction because entropy moves in one direction but there's nothing in physics that say we have to experience time in one direction i mean it's not like we experience the first 3 dimensions only in one direction, you can walk backwards, so time is the only dimension in which we are all forced to go forward at theoretically the same speed, so yeah, I did a little bit of research into it, just enough to know this movie is smart in what it's talking about, it's not total Doc Brown bullshit, but it's also very shaky on certain grounds, and They say many times in the movie when our protagonist asks questions, don't worry about it. (laughs) And I think that's Nolan speaking to us.
0: Yeah, I don't really care if these physics are real or not I care about the story am I in it do I get some cool action like you take the matrix that's got some crazy theories like I, I've read stuff it'd be totally inefficient to turn humans into batteries the way the robots do in that film but damn it looks cool and it's an engaging film and I'm into it I, I don't need it to be scientifically accurate I need a good story
1: I hear what you're saying, Jacob. I mostly agree. But, you know, we did talk about hard science is its own branch of sci-fi. And there is something cool about the fact that some people don't just make up shit. And Interstellar, the difference is, Christopher Nolan said, when I made Interstellar, I made the story a slave to the science. We did what was according to Kip in that movie. And this, I listened to Kip, and then I said, yeah, but I want to do this in my movie. So he really took a lot of creative liberties
0: after sort of ironing out
1: uh, what entropy and inversion was going to do in this world.
0: Yeah, I just think, just trying to say, oh, it's all about the physics, that's marketing. And that was part of the appeal of Interstellar. Like, here's a hard science fiction film, and, and what would time travel and space travel and all that stuff look like? And that's interesting, kind of like when we did the original Andromeda Strain, Like, what's interesting about that film is just how it's this slow science burn. So that can work, but again, it's not something I totally need. And Chris, you already did that. Like, let's get back to Inception. That's my feeling.
3: Well, that leads me to a question. I had read Nolan was going to do a James Bond film. It kind of feels like this is. Was he going to do a Bond? I can't
1: substantiate rumors, but at some point... When the Broccolis were searching for a director to take over, I think around Skyfall, they honeymooned with Christopher Nolan to see if he would be interested in doing it. That would have been around the same time that the story was starting to congeal. Maybe they just didn't think that he had the right sensibilities. So ultimately, the way I take it is the Broccolis passed on him. And he was inspired to tell a spy movie And this entropy inversion stuff, he felt like would fit in well in a James Bond kind of world. But, yeah, I can't imagine Daniel Craig, like, firing a bullet backwards. Like, it would be really weird if this were (laughs) the new Bond movie.
3: I just didn't expect a Bond-like spy thriller when I went into this movie. Now, Nolan, he and J.J. love their mystery boxes. Nolan doesn't like to tell you a whole lot what the movie's about going in, so I had no way to know that they were trying to cast our protagonist basically as a new James Bond. He was going to have a Bond girl and a Blofeld-like villain, and that was a shock to me. Oh, okay. I I think I
1: knew that in some way. Something about the pre-release material gave me the indication that, yeah, if Inception was his Ocean's Eleven movie, this was going to be his 007 movie. But let's find out what kind of movie it is, because I think the interesting thing is when Chris got all of his cast and crew together, usually before they start production, he screens the movie that puts everyone on the same page and says, this is what we're going for. And when he got them all together, he said, I couldn't think of a movie (laughs) that this was like. So
0: we're not going to we're not going to do that this time. So what's a famous art heist movie? Because I
3: feel like at least a third of this film is about an art heist and I don't get it. There was The Freshman with Matthew Broderick and Marlon Brando where they steal the Mona Lisa.
1: Yeah, I mean, Arnie, this is your cue. You tell us what actually happens in this movie and we try (laughs) to define what Tenet is. (laughs) Have fun. And if you do it backwards, I'll be really impressed.
0: He's got to do it at the same time, backwards and forwards. We need a pincer here.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Sometime in the future, climate change has rendered Earth uninhabitable. Those future people, who we never see, discovered a way to reverse time on objects, allowing guns to catch bullets rather than fire them, for example. They've been sending back in time reverse weapons, as well as gold bullion, to be received by international arms dealer Andre Sator, played by Kenneth Branagh. In exchange, Sator is sending weapons forward in time. But the ultimate plan is much larger. The future people sent back an algorithm made of interlocking metal bricks. Is that what an algorithm is? I thought it was like a computer program
0: formula thing. (laughs)
3: An algorithm is a formula. I didn't know
1: it was Legos. (laughs) They (laughs) specifically said they wanted to make them physical so that if you break these nine pieces apart, you would have that very formula.
3: Uh, Again, as a coder, this is not what I know as of an algorithm, but they call it an algorithm that when assembled and used will reverse all time. This will kill everyone who ever lived but allow the future people's Earth to start going backwards so their ocean levels again recede and their land is fertile. Sator agrees to do this because he's a sociopath with pancreatic cancer. He figures if he must die, it's no loss that the world die with him. Into this plot is pulled our protagonist, who has no other name than the protagonist, played by John David Washington. After passing a test of loyalty, Washington is admitted to a paramilitary spy organization called Tenet. In this group, he learns the rules of backwards time travel, and he and his partner Neil, played by Robert Pattinson, are charged with infiltrating Sator's organization and stopping him from using the algorithm. The protagonist does this by using Sator's unhappy wife, Catherine Barton, or Kat, played by Elizabeth Debicki. But despite her assistance, Sator gets the last piece of the algorithm and plans to detonate it. These machinations involve a lot of time travel, forward, backward, the protagonist unknowingly gets into a fight with his future self who's traveling backwards through time, all the convoluted plot points we're going to get into in this podcast, but the film ends with Tenet's paramilitary troops doing what's called a temporal pincer attack in Russia. This means a squad of troops attack from the future in reverse time, while another squad attacks from the present in forward time. The goal is to get the algorithm before Sator ignites it with a nuclear bomb. They barely succeed in doing so, and along the way, the protagonist's life is saved by a troop with a red string on his backpack. After the mission ends, the protagonist realizes Neil has that string on his backpack, and though the mission is over, Neil must walk to his death as to not create a paradox. It turns out Neil has been going backwards in time, having been recruited into Tenet in the future by the protagonist himself, who is the head of Tenet. And he takes over the organization he started, self-appointed to maintain peace through time, as credits roll forward, not backward. Oh, you forgot all this stuff about suntan lotion. (laughs) There is a lot about lotion. <laughs> a lot of art stuff, a lot of suntan lotion. You guys wanted the plot. I gave you the plot. I did not give you a blow-by-blow. Blow. That's what we're here to do. Right. And as we start, we are at
1: the Kiev Opera House, warming up. A big crowd gathered, much like he, I think Christopher Nolan imagined his audience, waiting to see a show begin, and outbreaks a terrorist attack. What can we know about this event. What is real and what is not here? We will later learn that all of this is a test for our main character and that our main character is testing himself because he runs Tenet. So, who are these people uh, shooting up the orchestra?
0: That's what I came here to find
3: out, Stuart. You tell me. I thought it was said later on by arms dealer Priya That these terrorists are Sator's, and they're here to get 241, which is in coat check, I guess. (laughs) Somebody checked a duffel bag with part of the algorithm in it, and Sator's using this to try and get that, and because he doesn't, is how the protagonist— And can I just say what a douchey thing to just call him the protagonist—but it's how the protagonist is going to get in with Sator. But hold that thought because what gets said
1: when we find out that there's this really important looking guy in one of the box seats is all of this is a stage to get you out. So I don't think Sater's guys are the gunmen bursting in. I think that they're part of the Ukrainian troops that are, are riding in with real Ukrainian SWAT team to handle the situation.
0: See, I took it as the terrorist, our satyrs guys coming in to try to get that plutonium 241 and that what was set up was for reasons, protagonist and some other Americans, like they, we see someone in a SWAT team truck and they're all dressed up, wake up the Americans. They find which, I guess, military patch they got to put on to blend in with the SWAT team. I, I thought that's what was staged to get him out, that they, just some of the SWAT teams were staged. I don't know that we
1: can ever know. I mean, I think this this moment and many moments in this movie get lost in the ambiguities. I do agree that somewhere in here, we have the villain trying to make his move on what we believe for a long time is plutonium, but in fact is one of these nine pieces that make up the algorithm.
0: We're never told how the Americans know about this, how protagonist and his team know about this attack? We're told this is the beginning of his story, but I feel like there's a little bit more. I think that they staged it. That's why I think they know about it. This is all fake.
1: So the Americans sent in the terrorist. The CIA. I will identify our hero at this point in the story is CIA. He will quickly be adopted into a organization of spies that has no alliance to any particular nation. They're just worried about humankind. Tenet is trying to protect everyone in this timeline from people in the future. But right now he answers to America and I think they're staging a fake terrorist attack So that they can ride in here, extract a guy who's been working with satyrs people to try and get plutonium that's really an artifact.
3: But don't they kill a whole bunch of people? I mean, yes, the protagonist gets the bombs out of, as he calls them, the cheap seats and saves a lot of people. But there's still a big boom and there's still a lot of people knocked out because whoever these terrorists are, they put some gas in the ventilation system. I think that they wouldn't kill anybody as part of a test
0: no i thought that was the swat team that gassed everyone
1: yeah so first of all let's just revisit real history in 2002 this really happened like there were some terrorists in russia and i think they were chechens It was like a whole uprising. Do you guys remember this? And like Putin sent in people into this Moscow theater and they were like, let's use sleeping gas. Well, that doesn't exist. Use it anyway. And so they basically just poisoned a whole theater of people. Most of the innocent people died or like were really badly injured by this. So they're referencing like a really uncomfortable, unpleasant moment. But the good guys in that situation, air quotes on that, were the ones that ended up killing innocent people. If you notice in this scene, the, what I believe to be real Ukrainians showing up, are the ones setting bombs. In the end, they're the ones being like, eh, these are poor people, we don't care about these lives, we're going to just blow them up because that way we'll kill whoever these terrorists are.
3: It's very confusing, but it opens with a big action scene, much like a James Bond film usually does, But this one is supposedly tied to the plot because what I go to with this is kind of Shades of Kingsman. The protagonist is caught and tortured to see if he'll give up the CIA. But that's all just a test to see if he can maintain loyalty.
0: Okay, here's my question. What is the test? Is this whole thing with the terrorist? Is it just to see if he'll take the suicide pill? Is that guy torturing people also a CIA agent testing him? Or do they just always hand out fake suicide pills and then somehow find out a way to rescue you? And if you took it, then you pass some nebulous test out in the field.
1: That's why I would say it is impossible to know what (laughs) we're watching in the scene. It's impossible to know. There are so many ways you could read it. And so many people could be in on it. And the way that ultimately, just jumping to the end, we're to understand what tenant is. It's one guy trying to keep everyone else ignorant of what's going on. So a lot of these people are operating from an incomplete agenda. They don't know who they serve. And that is because we're trying to get people to forget how to make the nuclear bomb. Essentially, we're trying to uneducate and uninstall dangerous information that has been released Pandora's box style into the world. And so the way that that is protected is that we have this main character. Let's just go ahead and get into it. You've already talked about it, Arnie. Protagonist? I don't think that's his name. I think that's something that Priya calls him later. I think we're to think that he's as ambiguous as this scene. We will never know who he really is. He doesn't have a name, his name is not protagonist.
3: No, but I don't know anyone who talks like this because later on, when they're giving the mission briefing, they're like, there will be forward antagonists. Backward antagonists. I don't think in military briefings they talk about antagonists. They talk about (laughs) the enemy. They talk about forces, not antagonists. I think, you know, Nolan is a good writer. He is gifted with words all the way back to Memento. I didn't care so much for the following. But I think maybe he has forgotten how humans speak when they're not writing. Yeah, I feel like if this was a Charlie Kaufman film, I I would totally go with
0: someone called Protagonist. He's a postmodernist. He's always deconstructing stories and the way they're told. Like, I totally buy that. Nolan, yeah, he plays around with, with some similar ideas, time and how his stories are told. But he he just has a different viewpoint that I associate much more clinical, much more logical, uh, much more scientific. So to, f- to to see him try to do this kind of thing, it just doesn't work. I, like I, even if this wasn't Nolan and someone else trying to do this, I'd find it very pretentious.
1: See, but I think Inception again. When we go back to that review, I thought it was that is a movie talking about how he creates movies. It is very postmodern. I think of. Nolan is being a postmodernist.
0: But Leo isn't called the director.
1: No, they don't have to be, but they all are. Like, there's the actor in that movie, there's the director, there's the producer.
0: Yeah, much more subtle and a much more better film.
1: I think, ultimately, they realized they needed to call him something. And if they could have gotten away with it, they would have never given him a name at all. I call him Denzel's kid. (laughs) I didn't really know Denzel had a kid that was acting until I saw Black Klansman a few years ago. That was his first thing, right? Apparently, he comes from the world of football. Like, he had a whole ball career, which explains why I knew nothing about him. And then, for reasons, maybe Spike Lee, or maybe he just felt like he couldn't run from Dad's legacy anymore, he came and and started, I guess he's on that HBO show Ballers, and has been showing up more and more Christopher Nolan liked him from Black Klansmen. He picked this actor, I think, because he took the theme of this movie to heart. Look at the world differently. We're going to have a different kind of leading man here. I've never had an African-American lead before. And I never had a total unknown carry a movie in this way. So... I think this is Nolan being experimental.
0: And if you look at this as chasing James Bond, I mean, there's a lot of people after Daniel Craig. We want Idris Elba to be our Bond. We want a black Bond. So he's beating the studios to that as well.
3: I think that John David Washington carries himself a lot like his father. When I think of Denzel, I think of very metered, dispassionate line readings. Now, he can become passionate. Oh, yes, he can. Plymouth Rock landed on us! Yeah, one of the funniest performances I've ever seen is him at the end of Ricochet, where he's putting on the lipstick and yelling about getting the clap. I mean, he can go over the top, but if you watch him in The Equalizer or just a lot of movies, even his rom-coms, he's always this very metered, calm person, even in action movies with stuff going on around him.
0: I always feel like, though, you're waiting for him to explode, and that's when you get the Denzel Washington you want. John David Washington, I've only seen him in, besides this, The Black Klansman. I love that film. Not because of him, though. They're, Adam Driver's great in it. I didn't know Steve Buscemi has a brother, but he's a lot of fun in it. for Grace is fun in there, but John David Washington, he, he's The Black Klansman, and he's, uh eh. Like, I'm not that engaged with this character. And in this one, too, like, yeah, he, he's too stilted. He, he never has that release. I never get that passionate thing that I, I associate with Denzel.
1: One of the interesting things about seeing it a second time is that because I was able to know kind of what was going on, I could pay attention to what he was doing better. The first time I watched this, I was like, he's horrible. He's giving you nothing. I'm supposed to like him. This is James Bond. He is like a zombie. Then when watching all of that bonus material, it was almost like Nolan was like holding up a stopwatch and trying to hypnotize me. He kept like bringing up like, oh, I love this guy. You're going to love this guy. Everyone loves this guy. I'm like, who? Who likes this guy? If you slow the movie down and you pay attention to his very subtle cues, he is funny. He does have a a wit and a sensibility, but because everyone has been directed to talk like they already know what the person across from them is going to say, and they're just going rat, 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 you don't spend the time to get to know him the way that I think would be helpful.
0: Yeah, there's one moment that I really like with him because we, in a future scene, we'll talk about, but, you know, he's told, uh, you're playing a billionaire. You can't wear a Brooks Brothers suit, you know, and he's, so he's trying to play this very rich industrialist. And then, you know, this woman tells him, oh, I went on a $9 million vacation. He's like, to the moon? Like, he he just can't (laughs) fathom that you could go on a, a nice vacation for $9 million. I'm like, oh, that's great. Like, that's his character. I wish there was more of that. It's there, but you have to slow the movie down.
3: I don't think he has a character. What I'm missing from this movie and Inception, what made me connect with Leonardo DiCaprio, was his wife and his spinning top. And that story that did feel very much like Memento. And what I'm relating to with Guy Pearce in that film is the death of his wife. I mean, his best films always have that human connection and i can't tell you a thing about the protagonist he doesn't you know it doesn't even have that moment of men in black where will smith has to think for 30 seconds about giving up his family and life so that he could become part of this underground organization the protagonist is presumed killed this guy who I think we only see once in the whole movie says welcome to the afterlife and I'm going to tell you Tenet it's this hand gesture and a word and I never know what the protagonist feels about any of that here's why I think we're supposed to like him and it's in the opera
1: moment is that there are all these bombs around, and his other guys are like, not our mission, don't worry about it. And he's going to like, nope, I'm going back for
3: that. It is the save the cat moment if you've read that book of screenplay writing. It is totally saving the cat. It is, and that's important for this character
1: because he's trying to care about people that he will never know. He's trying to protect the future and save us from the future at the same time. He has the ability to have compassion. One of the themes Nolan talked about in the -the behind-the-scenes stuff that he really wanted to come through, and does occasionally, is the idea that you can be very mad at older generations or future generations about things and do inhuman, cruel things to them. This is a character that wouldn't do that. And so I think... His only defining trait. He is kind of generic by design. And I think a lot of spies don't get to have a personal life. Sorry, James Bond, but like that's not the model. Most of the time, you're going to do what he does in the wind farm of just like spending hours doing push-ups, drinking water, and waiting for your orders. I think that he doesn't have that family life to go home to. But he is defined as heroic, and he's our protagonist because he can care about this generation and the next.
0: But the only reason he's successful with getting those bombs out of there is because a reversed someone shows up. And that's when we're going to get our first glimpse of this reversed entropy. Like uh, one of the, the real SWAT guys recognizes that he's a fake and pulls a gun out on him. And then some mysterious man walks up and a reverse bullet goes through that SWAT guy.
1: Right. I think everyone probably knows to be looking for this guy because he has like this red, like... Yeah, yeah, they, they zoom in on? Talisman, kind of. It, it looks like something I've seen in chandeliers and Chinese restaurants. To me, it looked like a red thread with a washer on
0: the end. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like there's a, a Eastern spiritual thing that I'm not totally knowing about, but it connects them with Eastern philosophy, I think. And maybe there's readings to this movie where we could bring that philosophy in. I can't provide that, so I'm going to move on. It's important because we're going to be looking for that guy again.
0: You have suspicions right away, though, right? Right, it's Neil, yes. We haven't met Neil yet, but even the first time watching this film, I know Robert Pattinson's in it, so I'm like, that's either John David Washington saving himself, or that is Robert Pattinson, who's going to enter the film later.
3: I didn't put that together. I saw that they zoomed in on the red string, but the first time... I did not pay close attention to it until it came back later, and I was like, oh, here, I just thought a member of his team saved him, which I guess is what happened. You didn't notice the reverse bullet? I did notice the reverse bullet, but I knew what movie I was in. Right. And why would he have one? And, and
1: and what would that mean? Like, you know, it's a busy scene and a lot is going on, but it starts the audience, it sticks in your mind and starts them thinking about, yeah, I saw that in the trailer. When are these reverse bullets coming? Because all of this seems to be going in forward motion. But... Soon, now that we have this character passing the test, he is going to learn that he's in a world where the present is fighting with the future. And I thought, here was something that I just had to get over, because when I saw the trailers and all, I imagined it like you could fire a gun, like literally behind you, and it would like... Kill someone in the room like 20 years before, like that isn't standing there. (laughs) So it took me a while to realize that it's really not about bullets firing backwards, that ultimately it's about uh, how would you describe it? Like, I almost think of it as a wave machine. And right now it's all tilted towards the future. But if they can tilt it back on us, then they can wipe us all out.
0: Yeah, at the very end of this film, there'll be talk about fate and predestiny and free choice. I still don't know how all that works because these bullets already have to be shot, I guess, in the future to go and be caught by the gun in the
3: past. No, no, they're reversed. What's happened is they've gone to the future and in the future, they've run them through some machine that makes them a reverse bullet and then buried them. So this bullet is going backwards through time. And so that's why it's, already been fired and you're catching the bullet i believe we see those bullets that is from the end scene that concrete that
1: they have as a firing range is part of the building in the russian city
0: so all those reverse bullets come from the blue team but they have a lot of other parts i mean i guess we should talk about this protagonist lives in a windmill for a while as he's recovering for you know he's put in a coma after he took that fake suicide pill yeah wait until we pick you up Getting back
1: to what I said, he doesn't have a, a wife and kids waiting for him. He, there's, there's no sense that he's going to go bag babes on a weekend in Vegas. It's not that kind of spy. Most spy work is boring. I mean, read John Lacar. Like, he was like, I did that stuff. And all those people were really warped individuals because they were antisocial and, and didn't, didn't have, like, personalities that were gregarious and anything that you would associate with, like,
0: spy movie charm. Oh yeah, no, I've seen The Spy Who Came In From the Cold. Like, a a much more realistic spy movie. A lot of sitting around, waiting. But, I don't know, do we have windmill farms in the oceans like this? Was this something Nolan created? Everything in this movie
1: is real. And he looked, he scoured the world to find them. I believe they're off the coast of... Denmark or maybe Sweden, Scandinavian in some way, you can go and visit these things. But yes, every place you're going to see, in this movie has about eight or nine different locations, it was very important that they be real and nothing is computer generated.
0: Yeah, I thought, again, we're going to find out the future is very angry at us because of global warming. It it felt weird to have this focus on something that is trying to fight global warming or climate change, whatever you want to call it.
1: I think it's also a symbol because the pinwheels, as they were, the the windmills, have the motion and look a lot like the turnstiles later. It gets the whole idea of of thinking about how time is going to work and be manipulated.
3: I didn't catch that metaphor, but it doesn't take too long of seeing this workout montage before he does have a mission to drive to, is it New Mexico? They show us a GPS briefly.
1: I have no idea where they drop him off, but uh, we're going to meet Barbara. Uh, Barbara works in some kind of lab somewhere. It feels European to me. Yeah. But uh, yeah, she works somewhere doing some other job, but because she's tenant and because, yeah, the previous guy who was... In Christopher Nolan's Insomnia, I think that's why they cast him for that little bit part, Martin Donovan, he showed the hand motion, told the word tenant opens doors. All John David Washington has to do is say the word tenant to her and she'll open literally a door and show him, I think, a slab of where red team and blue team were firing into. So the reason why some of those, the war that she's talking about coming is really the battle at the end of the movie.
3: Really? Hmm.
0: I don't... I'll have to think about that. Yeah. So are all those other artifacts that she opens up and shows, those are all from that battle at the end, you're saying?
3: Yep. You know, if I cared about this movie more, I'd rewatch and look for that particular piece of rubble because it does have a strange shape. But what I'm struggling with is... This movie is moving pretty quick, actually. We've been introduced to a lot of people, and he's indoctrinated into the society, and we're 13 minutes into the movie, and we've met that guy who, as you mentioned, wasn't from Insomnia, and now we've met this weaponsmith, and I kind of am finding Bond... Parallels The guy who shows him the hand gesture and says Tenet is like his M, and this person, the weapons person, is like his Q, and we won't see M and Q usually again in a Bond film. Sometimes Q pops up with a new gadget, but not always. But yet here, I'm like, why are we being introduced to so many characters who show up, babble exposition, and then we never see them again? <laughs>
1: Yeah, it was definitely a frustration of the first viewing to feel like we just had this shaggy dog story where he goes from place to place and a lot of these people never came back.
0: I had no idea why he was going place to place because I couldn't understand what was being said.
1: That was also the struggle. But in IMAX, maybe the speakers were a little less muffled and I, I was sort of, at this point, I wasn't totally detached. Oh,
0: no, no, I haven't become detached yet during my first view.
1: I didn't understand the science she was saying, but I knew that he had been told by the GPS this is where he needs to go to get his mission. But it is the theme of this movie that the less you know, the better. Like, we don't want people to know what's going on. And so you can't go to one person and they're going to go blah, 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 because now they become a liability. Now they're a potential threat, like the bomb, right? We, the more countries that have it, the more in peril this world is. So we got to keep Tenet really, really small. Except for an entire army, but we'll get there. Yeah, But they don't know much. And, and a whole bit is made about the fact that the Splinter team knows things that the rest of the soldiers will never
0: know. Yeah, there's some interesting dialogue when you have the subtitles on and can understand it about, you know, because of credit card records and all this stuff. Like, the future knows all about us. So they have to be super secretive. That's why protagonist is told, you know, when he learns the word tenant, you know, that's going to open doors. But it could also turn people against you because it's just some nebulous thing. People on both sides. We're told during this whole demonstration scene with the bullets going backwards, they're trying to prevent World War III, worse than nuclear holocaust, this backwards war. You know, they say it's a cold war. So I'm like, oh, so the Russians are trying to get this backwards technology. I thought all these nations in our time were trying to get backwards technology because that would give them the upper hand just like a nuclear bomb would. But... Almost no one knows about this. Okay. And
1: even she doesn't totally know. I mean, she says, like, we're not even going to tell jokes or personal stories. Like, we cannot be talking about this. And if we write things down, then it's going to be seen in the future. Like, she knows enough to know that this is, to her, World War Three. But in fact, when she's talking about a future war, she creates the impression of something that I don't think ever transpires. She's thinking that, yes, people from the present will be firing guns forward while people in the future will be firing inverse guns at them in a literal war. That was kind of where I was stuck on this. Yeah. But no, that's only the climax of this film. That's it. So, where did these bullets come from? (laughs) Now, here's a give-me. I guess the rare metal quality of these shells could only be made in India. And if you're going to get weapons in India, there's only one dude, and he lives in a Mumbai skyscraper.
3: And this reminded me a lot of The Dark Knight. Remember when Batman had to infiltrate that skyscraper? A Chinese businessman, which those exist. That makes sense. Bullets made of rare metal only
0: from India. I'm not a big Second Amendment guy. Maybe these bullets exist. Listeners, let us know. But it's hard to swallow.
1: What it is, is the theme of this movie, think of, you know, the world differently. The point is that we think an arms dealer, that must be this guy. And surprise, it's his gentle looking wife, the Bollywood star here, who we would never suspect. But yes, maybe we can deduce.
0: I was not surprised. I totally suspected. This is such a trope.
3: But to help him infiltrate, we are introduced to his... Partner, sidekick, guy who shows up sometimes. Yeah, he just shows up, right? Neil, played by Robert Pattinson. Now, I mean, I've talked about this at the end of the film. At the end of this movie, Neil walks to his death and says, We've had a long friendship. Don't you think they should have cast somebody much older than Robert Pattinson? Robert Pattinson's 34, but if they're going to talk about having this long friendship and things, I'm thinking they should have brought in... Don't get me wrong, I like Robert Pattinson in a lot of movies. He's actually really recovered from my hating the thought of Edward, but I would have liked to have seen a Kevin Costner or something in this role. Somebody who's low-key... But we would believe at the end of this movie, oh, they did have a long friendship. 20, 30 years. Because as it is, I'm like, what? They hung out for a couple years?
0: No, if he's moving backwards through time, and I got questions about that. Like, is he walking backwards so it looks like he's going forward to protagonist? But... to be determined. But if he's going backwards through time, maybe he was much older and he's just,
3: he's he's reversing an age. It's Benjamin Button. But I don't think you reverse an age when you go back. Your body, it's not like scars disappear and wounds go away when you go back. And what happened with Neil is he went back and now is moving forward. Okay, so he goes back and forth. Yeah, if he's breathing air, then he is moving forward at that time.
0: That's what I figured. I thought it would have been a cool reveal if at the end, like he was doing everything backwards the whole time to look like he was moving forward. That would be
1: absurd, (laughs) but yes, it would have been
0: surprising. It's such a better movie if that would have happened.
1: (laughs) No, a real good trick to follow here. One helpful thing to just keep in mind, if people are wearing oxygen masks, they're traveling backwards in time. Now, what I would presume is Denzel's kid put on an oxygen mask, went back in time before this moment and got
3: to know this guy for 10, 15 years. So there was a history. I think this guy's out there maybe 25 or something and is going to be recruited. Like if there was a sequel, it would be recruiting Neil at age 25 with this guy and then, you know, their adventures would begin like Holmes and Watson. I mean, there's even theories out there. I haven't, I've tried not to read too
1: much What's published on the web because I just wanted to focus on what I saw and not what other people were seeing. But I have heard the rumor, Cat's son Max may be Neil. I have no idea how that would connect. I'm not going to spend the time to diagram that. But I think it is one of the more charming Ambiguities of this movie is that we don't really know where Neil is coming from, but we definitely know that he knows more than he's letting on. Because right here in this moment, he's like ordering drinks for protagonist and saying, I know you like Diet Coke. I know who you are. And throughout the movie, it's fun to watch him kind of read a scene and... You could just see that shiftiness in his eyes of him trying to calculate what this means with stuff he's not sharing. Because, again, this is a movie where if you know something really important, keep it to yourself. You don't want to be telling everybody or the future is going to find out.
3: So do they have bungee cords that have come back from the future and reverse (laughs) bungee jump up the building?
1: Yeah, it's a batarang,
3: isn't it? Batman, Adam West had this. (laughs) I mean, I, I couldn't tell if this was some kind of repellent line or if it was reverse bungee jumping. <laughs> yeah, it slingshot them up and then they jump down. It's like a harpoon. They, they fire a
1: harpoon and then they bungee up.
0: Yeah, but I think Nolan's trying to get into the themes of this film. Like, you think of bungee jumping going down. Here they're going to use bungees to shoot up. Mm-hmm.
1: And they really did this. Again, they'll they'll brag throughout all of the bonus materials. Those actors really had to run up that building three or four times.
0: Question, though. They they meet Priya. It's revealed that she's the arms dealer. Is she an arms dealer? Why is she helping them throughout this film? Uh,
3: she's part of Tenet. She is. Okay. Kind of. Is she part of Tenet or is she like a subcontractor, an independent party who has been hired by Tenet?
0: Because she's willing to kill the love interest at the end of this film. I don't know how that fits into Tenet's plans.
1: Well, we'll get there because no one can live that knows about Tenet. It's always built into the idea that if you know what was happening at the end of this, we'll talk about it in the climax, time to kill you. Like that was going to happen for all the main characters. And so I think we're supposed to have the impression she's the head of tenant. that she knows a lot more than anybody else. And we'll find out later as her story goes along that she's not sharing information. She's tricking our protagonist to do things and and having him give away the artifact when he thought he was trying to reclaim it, that she seems to to have all the answers. And therefore, she's the head of tenant. The surprise, of course. Maybe not a surprise if you've seen Interstellar and you know that Matthew McConaughey is the ghost that's haunting his daughter. That it's protagonist all along. He's the head of Tenet. But I think we're supposed to think for much of the movie, she's the head of Tenet.
3: I never thought that. I thought she was an arms dealer who was working with him either to prevent Armageddon or because she was being paid to.
0: Yeah, sometimes in a Bond film, he'll get information from villainous characters that will help him out to, you know, to get the bigger one because, you know, they have something to gain from that. So I'm like, what does she have to gain by selling out Sator? But
1: at this point, all she has to do is say, I gave him regular bullets. And if they're flying backwards, you need to go find out how to do that. Uh, She's being very coy about what she knows about inverse technology. And he's not sharing a whole lot either. He just knows that he needs to find out more. He's got a name now. Like, I finally know who I'm supposed to be tracking the Bond villain is this Russian oligarch Sator
3: how many films has Branagh had cancer in yeah I mean this to me we <laughs> had just reviewed Shadow Recruit when I saw this in theaters yes. and so I was doing a double take during this movie like is that Branna? is he playing an evil Russian villain again is he terminal again a- <laughs> is this a crossover
1: <laughs> I thought for sure when he was getting that belt out to like beat his wife later, he was going to make her eat that light bulb. I'm like, if you make her eat that (laughs) light bulb, I'm walking out of this movie right
0: now. I I do love it. Like, Brad, uh, Shakespeare and Russian gangsters with terminal (laughs) illnesses. That's what he's being typecasted as.
3: Well, we haven't gotten to him yet. Right now, he just remains a name. No, no. First, we got to meet Michael Caine, who's going to tell him, don't shop at Brook Brothers. Yeah,
0: we go to Mr. Crosby,
3: who I guess he's in on this tenant thing.
0: He's with the government. No, he's not with Tenet. He's with the British government and he has been
1: getting information from Sator all this time. They think that they have something on the Russian government but they know secretly that it's crap. Again, there's, this movie's theme is ambiguity, and who knows who's playing who, but everyone... I think that Michael Caine, the actor, did not know what he was doing when he was brought to set for the couple days that he shot. He read his one scene. He had no idea what this movie was about, but for Nolan, it was important to bring back Lucky talismans from all his previous movies. Kane has been in a lot of his films. They also brought the actor back from Following. His very first movie is the snooty waiter that seats the protagonist.
0: And I, love, I do love when protagonists ask for a doggy bag from him. <laughs> that was great. Can I get it
1: to go? No. <laughs> yeah. That, again, this is where like the first viewing, I didn't see any of this humor. And so I was not connecting to these people. And I was really feeling like, who wants to watch a spy movie with these zombies? watching it again and being able to rewind and see those subtitles and just being able to focus
0: just like Nolan wanted you to in IMAX theaters, rewind subtitles, being able to
1: focus on what the actors are doing with their face helps because this is a very British comedy and like, it's very like played down low. Like you really dry and you really have to work to lean in to go, Oh, he's telling a joke. I, I didn't get that from what he said. Like, You want to spend time on these scenes, and I know this movie is dense, and they don't have time to give. It's two and a half hours long, but honestly, this needed to probably be four hours long in order to let this movie breathe. This movie has
3: no time to breathe. Just cut one of the diversionary things. Just, you know, make the Rube Goldberg a little less complicated yeah. and you could have added more character time.
0: Yeah, let's talk about this part of the Rube, Rube Goldberg because, oh boy, we get a lot of background information about Sator. He grew up in a secret. Secrets are a big deal in this film, as you keep pointing out, Stuart. He grew up in a secret Soviet town. and
3: That's real, right? The secret Soviet towns?
1: Well, it's a secret, Arnie. I don't know. But yes, (laughs) apparently it has come out that the USSR, the Soviet Union, did have places. And who knows? Maybe there are here in America, too. Like there are just secret places, certainly where they developed the bomb. You know, like there's just secret areas where you don't want other people around when you're doing shit. And so this was, yeah, a little Chernobyl. That uh, basically this Russian, when he was a teenager, and this is why Kenneth Branagh was probably too old for this. But we're supposed to think that as the Soviet Union collapsed, he came into his fortune stealing plutonium as, you know, people lost track of where all of that radioactive material was.
3: It's vague on how old he's supposed to be. During that, because he says it was his first contract job. Like, I think he was a contractor.
1: No, no, no. no it's he. I mean, one, the script tells me he's supposed to be 40. And Kenneth Browno is not. Uh, and the second is, like, he was saying that this was the job that made his company. And he was willing to handle radioactive materials when other people were like, I ain't going to do it except this other guy that came with a Geiger counter and a shovel that he's going to beat to shit and kill in order to get. We have a little flashback, you know, later. And it's interesting when he digs up that box, it's a message from the future. We see his name in there along with the gold bars. So they knew that he was going to be the one to find this. And this is the start of his relationship.
0: Yeah, that that revelation will come later. At first, we think he's just digging up nuclear waste and selling that. There's plutonium and all that. But yes, he gets a message from the future. But then he, he gets married. He has this wife who appraises art. She tells him to buy a forged piece of art. She doesn't know it was forged. He finds out and uses that to blackmail her. I think she knew.
3: Yes. I think she was sleeping with the forger. Oh,
0: okay.
1: Yes. Here's was, that was not clear on the first viewing. Or the second for me. Very clear for me after absorbing all of the bonus materials. Yeah, she hates her husband. She obviously loves art if she appraises it. Found somebody that can replicate Goya and Ruben and what have you. Another artist fell in love and then said, why don't we rip my husband off and run away together? Got caught... He got killed, and she now lives in fear of being exposed as someone that can't tell an art forgery. Thomas Areppo, which is one of those names from that stone tablet.
3: Oh, yeah, yeah, Areppo. I knew when you were talking about the tablet, that sounded familiar. Mm -hmm. And, of course, Sator's on that tablet as well. And so they meet at a nice dinner, and Kat isn't sure whether to trust the protagonist or not, but Sator's guards certainly aren't, and we're going to get an action scene here where I think this is the first time I've seen an action movie where the hero grabs a cheese grater to use on a guy.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I got to say, and I said this way back with Inception, like Christopher Nolan, great movie maker. Action, not his forte, like that, that whole snowmobile, which felt like a James Bond scene in Inception. Like just it didn't have that pizzazz that I associate with action films and This choreography, it's all right. Like, yeah, I like he pulls out a cheese grater. That feels unique, but I don't know. Maybe he's going for super realistic fighting. I just, I've never taken in by his action. And this is another time his action fails for me.
1: I mean, sometimes I like his action. I mean, Batman. Well,
0: yeah. You know what, though? Batman, he had action people, like, on that. You know Warner Brothers like, there's got to be a good action film. Get people that know that. I don't feel like that's what he regularly gets.
1: He has John Wick people in this scene. Like, he was trying to do that. And you know what? I'm not a fan of that, so I can't speak to how well he, it holds up compared to Chopsaki movies I would have gone to see
3: in this day and age. It's okay-ish. I'm not thrilled by it. Grabbing the cheese grater reminded me of something Bourne would do, but now that you've said John Wick, I'm like, yeah, John Wick used a library book kind of like this. And so I did see that, but I got to disagree with you, Jacob sometimes I think Nolan can do action well I go back to Inception yeah the snowmobile stuff wasn't all that but the fight in the hallway where they were running up and down the walls
0: yeah no he's good at that stuff Uh, you're right
3: I liked that and I kind of like this it's not completely getting my adrenaline pumping but it's good to see the protagonist be competent and kick a little ass he's been out of his element now in this movie for 20 minutes and so, you know, he's being told he doesn't dress right, he's being told he doesn't know anything, he's going from person to person for data dumps. It's good for me to see him be able to stand up and assert authority, because otherwise he's a really bad protagonist.
1: Yeah, I think you're right, it's it's time for him to win a fight. It also is kind of a fun scene because it's a romantic scene. What we we don't realize, because the romance is downplayed really low, is that he's kind of attracted to this woman and he wants her to call him. And so like in the middle of all of this, like, yeah, my husband's going to beat you up and you probably won't die, but I'll never see you again. Is the idea of like, oh, I'm going to kick their ass and I'll be at your school tomorrow. This is where she makes the deal to him. If, if you can get that Rubens that I, you know, am being blackmailed with, if you can get that
3: out of Hawk, then I will help you.
0: Oh, this is such a convoluted way to get her to help.
3: Yeah, this, I like the action scene which comes, but this is a real stupid subdiversion. You know, this feels like a video game. Where like you have this extra mission and the level designer really knew what he was doing, but it real you know, it might be fun to play, but it is not advancing the move of the
1: game. I again I agreed with you the first time, because I was like, why are we spending all of this time on it? But I actually think if if you're looking at the performances and you're seeing the way that these people are trying to romance each other and manipulate each other, like I think all of the the love triangle that's going on here, these people at various times are really asking to be loved and at other times saying, I'm going to play you. I'm not saying Christopher Nolan is one of the best at that. I don't know that I'd want to see his romantic comedy. He's no Sam Mendes. But I do feel like like him going out of his way to get art for her is, there's something kind of sweet about it. I don't know how else to put it, but there's something a little charming about it. I wish it had a lighter panache. I wish this whole movie was less leaden. I mean, it's so self-serious, and sometimes that is a gift for Nolan. But I think I would appreciate it more if we just, again, had more time to breathe. This main character could be a little bit funnier, a little bit more Sean connery
0: Yeah, because I feel like that's what Robert Pattinson does for this film. Neil, like when he goes to that freeport to scout it out, like I'm having a lot of fun. Like I'm smiling when Neil's around. He's making jokes. He's light. Protagonist is just this relationship with Kat. It's not good.
3: It doesn't get to where it needs to be. Here's the thing is this little submission is going to be very important because in this vault, Sator not only keeps his art, but keeps an inversion machine, and there's going to be an inverted fight. They need to go to this vault, but to go there under the pretense of grabbing fake artwork, and then having a revelation this is part of the main plot, there should have been a main plot reason getting them there. Well, here's the way I look at it. If we're talking about human
1: relationships, and I think that's Important to keep that in focus because God knows like it's not Nolan's gift. So let's try and think about this. So if you are Seder and you have all over the world these turnstiles, how are you going to protect people from finding them? And how are you going to afford building all of them? Now, you do have gold coming from the future all the time, so you got a lot of money. But I do think that he looks at his wife not as just a beautiful woman that he loves, but also someone that can help him design the front, All of these free ports, and I had never heard this term before. I knew nothing about this world in which you can basically smuggle art tax-free. You can just store it on a
3: a dock or store it at the airport. Yeah, you don't have to go through customs. Let's face it, I appreciate all our now-playing donors, but... We're not at the donation level where we live that lifestyle where we'd know what a Freeport is. <laughs>
0: yeah, What 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 is the monthly rental fee for a Freeport? If you have to ask, you don't get it, yes. Exactly, yeah. I just asked my, for my food to be wrapped up, too, at the very
1: expensive <laughs> I love In my Brooks Brothers suit, and I spent yeah. a lot of, I saved up big to get that Brooks
0: Brothers suit. You go to vacation on the moon? Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there's some class issues here, but what she brings not only is just, you know, a pretty woman. Kat is, by the way, six foot two, this actress, and she does... I kept thinking that, like, Tenzel's kid is short, but, like, no, she's super tall in heels, so, like, she's taller than everybody, but she is getting the art without really realizing it she's creating this uh, idea that all these rich people have it invested that no one will get to the center of the pentagon which is the secret that is the thing that nobody else knows about not even cat knows about is the fact that Seder has turnstiles presumably all over the world and you have to figure out a really ingenious way of getting into one
0: yeah because i think you can only use them once <laughs> because they're going to have to travel around to a bunch of different ones later.
1: No, no, you can use them multiple times.
0: Okay. Well, I don't know why we're going to have to travel back here then. I think they picked Oslo
1: because they came out with this scheme. They realized... And it really is Neil. He's like, I want to crash a plane. Don't worry, I won't kill anyone. We're not actually going to bring it down on the tarmac. We'll just dump some gold onto the runway.
0: Is that Seder's gold? Because I know he's going to like beat a guy to death later with a gold bar, and he's getting gold from the future. Is that his, or is that just a coincidence?
1: I think that's a coincidence. This is a shipping plane. And so if it is his, that's a detail I did not... I
0: didn't pick up on that. No, because we see one guy pocket one. And is that the guy that gets killed later by Sater by that gold bar? No. Oh, I thought he was like found out from the future that that was the guy who crashed his plane or something. So he's beating him to death.
3: Well, that guy who steals the gold bar there, he takes a gold bar for himself before pushing them all off the plane. And later on, Sator just gets this helicopter delivery of gold bars that he looks very nervous about. That's what I'm saying. that That's confusing. Yeah, I thought these were the gold bars. I thought these were Sator's. But I guess if you're at a Freeport, everybody has gold bars, right? Yeah, it, maybe it's Sator's stash. Maybe
1: it's not. I... Uh, Again, there's a lot about this movie I have to let go and say it's going into the ambiguity. I, I I cannot know that. But it is a coincidence that this movie, maybe a motif of this movie, that we always are looking at stacks of gold. Yeah, there are two guys here, Mahir and some guy named Rohan we'll never see again. And I think they picked
0: me here because, let's just face it, prejudice being what it is. Well, they do say, like, if we get picked up, they'll say it's a terrorist thing and we'll work our way through the system and, and make our way out. They want this
1: to make news, but not too much news. Again, they want to create a, an incident. And so they have what looks like maybe possibly a terrorist attack that would make page six. And so while they're doing that bumbling... And crash into this free porch, this allows the protagonist and Neil to do their art heist.
3: Not trying to pat myself on the back at all or anything, but when I saw this in IMAX, I felt like I got about 70% of what was going on. Wow, 70%? Yeah, I I, I caught most of the words. You know, there were some parts that were inaudible and some parts I just had to roll with, but... Watching it a second time, I can't say I got any more than I did the first time, even with some subtitles, but I think certain things are just too telegraphed. When they're doing this art heist, I like it, it's reminding me again of a scene from The Dark Knight, where there's the gas, they need the oxygen masks, because they have 10 seconds. Oh no, they're just holding their breath. That's right, but they have to do the lockpick, the lock breaks off. But when they get in there and masked stormtroopers show up and you can't see their face, I'm like, well, they're fighting themselves. Oh, yeah. When,
0: when Robert Pattinson rips off the mask and, like, has this shocked look on his face and runs away, I'm like, okay, again, he either saw himself yeah. or he saw a protagonist. It's one of the two.
1: I don't think that's a cleverly disguised—I I had the same reaction. I think we are to know. I think that in some ways maybe Nolan is hoping that we feel for once in this
3: movie that we're ahead of it. Robert Pattinson kind of overreacts with that facial expression, too.
0: Oh, yeah, it's, it's not a great facial reaction.
3: <laughs> Given that he himself is a time traveler, he should not be that shocked that it's the protagonist. I'm not sure he's a
1: time traveler. I think that he's been visited by someone who's a time traveler.
0: He is, because, uh, like, the end of this film, he's like, it's the beginning of a relationship for you. It's the end of one for me. Like, he, he, he has spent time with this person in the future. Right, because that
1: person has gone back in time and spent a lot of time before this movie with him. But he will, we will see him, yeah, the end of it is, is where he winds up. We'll get there. But yeah, I don't think that he's jumping around.
3: I think he went back to this point. Like, they had a future together, and then he hung out someplace and let years pass backwards. And That's not my take on it. My take is the only person
1: that knows how to do that in the end of this movie that's alive, is Denzel's kid.
3: Except he's holding the protagonist's hand through some of this time stuff. He's the one explaining a lot of this time stuff. He knows this time stuff before this mission began. Correct, because Denzel's kid went back in time and told him. I I still say, I mean, there's no way to know, but I think it's Robert Pattinson who went back in time, not Denzel's kid. I don't think that makes any sense. I don't think Denzel's kid going into the past makes any sense, because then he could have just stopped this whole thing from happening. Um,
1: In a way, he does. But we'll get there. Let's finish up with this heist, which I I agree. I was like, really? Like, you don't think I know? Now I realize, oh, they know. And they just really wanted to have some demonstration of the fight choreography. This is where we get to see people that have been trained to move backwards Fight with people that are moving forwards. Yeah,
0: I'm very disappointed with that because th- that's the high concept of this film is that stuff goes backwards. So have a really cool fight where a dude is fighting backwards the whole time. Like half the time he's fighting forward, unless he needs to, you know, get out of the way uh, of a punch or something, then he'll magically move back. It's not even consistent.
3: Yeah, the backwards fight here was a little disappointing especially on a second viewing where I'm trying to really see the backwardsness you know there's one cool moment with like a reverse flip but beyond that it's it's a little bit of he's just scooting along the floor and I just don't know that you can choreograph reverse well.
0: And also, why does protagonist try to shoot himself? The inverse one is catching bullets. We we see bullet holes lodged in the glass in one room, and he's the one who pulled out the gun on himself. I guess he knew he'd miss? No, no, no. Yeah, it's clearer when we see it again.
1: I had the same question. He's trying to unload the gun. Okay. And it's clear when we see it in the other way, he's intentionally firing into the glass because he's afraid his other self is going to get that gun and shoot him.
0: I would have really liked a line dropped about that. Like, look, I dumb it down a little bit for me.
1: It's there. I mean, again, I think this movie is made for multiple
0: viewings. It's there, but let let me tell you, Stuart, it's around this point where I gave up on the film the first time I watched it. I couldn't understand, Arnie, you're saying 70%, I was maybe getting 40% of the dialogue. Like, I was getting some of the big plot points, but it was all the connective tissue and the whys that I wasn't understanding, so I was really starting to tune out.
1: I hear you. It wasn't here for me, but I can't tell you where... The dream started collapsing to take an Inception line. I did feel like there was a point in the movie where I was like, I more or less get this. And then there was a part where I'm like, I don't understand any of this. Yeah,
0: it's coming up for me, but I'm frustrated.
1: And it really colored... The second half of the movie, but we're not quite there yet. At this point, I think I'm onto the movie because I'm like, oh, yeah, he's fighting himself.
0: Yeah, you know, I could get that stuff from the visuals. It's again, it's the motivation behind a lot of the actions that I wasn't getting because I couldn't understand a lot of the lines.
1: But I do feel like it's a Christopher Nolan movie. It looks great. We're seeing the real McCoy. Oftentimes we're in the real location. The audio mix is a problem, but the score is cool. I still feel like in both viewings, I was with the movie at this point.
3: I'm still with the movie at this point. I'm slightly frustrated. I like the score. I'm glad you brought it up. But... I also feel a lot of Nolan's scores feel samey, even in the Batman ones. It's like, they're all kind of cool, but... I mean, isn't this kind of a remake of Interstellar? But it's a James Bond
0: film instead of a space film, instead of a remake of 2001. I mean, people in the future are going to interact with people from the past, and global warming has destroyed the Earth. And yeah, in this score, it feels like a lot of that TikTok stuff that, not the app, but, you know, clocks that Hans Zimmer did in Interstellar. It is a different composer,
1: and I think Christopher Nolan really thought, I'm testing myself by working with some new people here. A DP that he'd only worked with a couple times, a guy that had only scored this in Dunkirk, an actor he'd never worked before carrying the lead. He's trying to expand, but if it all starts to feel the same, I think it shows the fact that in the end, everyone is subservient to Nolan's vision like ultimately uh, Nolan has a brand and people get bent to that brand they don't change him
3: yeah I mean I'm liking some of the music during the exciting scenes a lot of it isn't stuff you listen to a lot of it just sets mood and his tone uh, like Batman but yeah when this scene happens and especially some scenes later on I think there really is Some exciting music in here. Yeah,
1: a lot of it sounds reversed. I mean, by design, like it literally sounds... And I think the composer even said, I wrote stuff that would be interesting both played forward and backwards. And I think we hear it in both ways in this movie. But this is where we get back to Priya. And she gives us a little bit more information about what we just saw. That's a turnstile. You saw the same guy going in two different directions. So when you go through that thing, there's two of you. Like that's important thing to take away. There's two of you now walking around.
0: So there are multiples of the characters. I mean, we'll talk about Cat at the end. There is more than one. Okay.
1: There are others and then there are inverted. And don't confuse the two because you can be inverted and not be your other.
0: But the inverted and the forward people could see each other. Like, they could all see each other. None of them are, like, in some invisible dimension.
3: No, they're all in the same plane of existence.
0: I think I did hear some line, like, straight from Back to the Future. Like, if you run into yourself, it will, like, end the world or something. They do say something along those lines.
3: Priya says that. Yeah. The physics I read about that is they took a little bit of a stretch. But if you look at the wave of reverse entropy... It also matches the wave of antimatter, and so what they're saying here, even though the physicist's article I read didn't buy it, is that when you are reversed, you are antimatter, and so if your matter comes in contact with your antimatter, there will be an explosion, but I think you could come in contact with, like, one of yourselves that's moving forward and be okay.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I didn't think that was the case, but...
3: I'm
1: not sure about that, maybe... I, I, again, I think this is where, like, Christopher Nolan is like, uh, feel it, don't ask the questions, just go with it. This is definitely one of those nebulous areas. Then don't raise the question! Well, I mean, again, they raise it and to have fun with it, but they're not, he's not a scientist, and so... Yeah, not everything is is going to get answered. I take it to mean the warning is don't come in contact with yourself physically. You can be in the same space, and we'll see that in the movies, but make sure you're wearing protective gear so that flesh doesn't touch flesh. Because if that were to happen in any way, and the characters are going to go out of their way at the end to make sure that their other selves are not on the boat or what have you, so they can do stuff. Like, it's really important they don't run into each other or kaflooey. Yeah, I don't
3: know what, but bad. Yeah, this whole thing operates on a Ghostbusters premise. It would be bad. What will happen? It will be bad. <laughs> right, crossing the streams,
1: and a little bit of Bill and Ted. I mean, if it's—the other line that keeps getting repeated is, like, if it's happened, it's happened. You know, like, that's—if if we've seen it, you know, there's this lingering feeling like we must win. The present must beat the future, because if the future wins— we wouldn't be exist to be talking about it. But at this point, we understand that the future is the enemy. The person we're fighting is not just Sater. He's just the middleman that's brokering with people for reasons that are being withheld, are really wanting to kill their ancestors.
3: And they're going to bring up the grandfather paradox of would that destroy them? But in the end, if you think about what the protagonist does ask at one point, he says, if... The future was going to win... Wouldn't we already know that? Don't we know the future's going to lose because we're having this conversation? And again, Robert Pattinson's like, eh, don't overthink it. Yeah, I do like Pattinson's <laughs> like, I do have a PhD in physics, but try to explain it to me. I think it's more important
1: just to think about the fact that, I mean, let's just cut to the chase. Uh, they're going to take most of the movie to, to hold on this. The future's really mad because they don't have trees, they have bad air. We polluted the earth, and now there's nothing for them to live on. But they have the technology to get back at us and maybe, just maybe, they can live with the resources that exist in the past. But even if they can't, at least we'll fuck over those people that squandered those resources. And so I do think that it is about something that I relate to is the fact that generationally speaking, you can get really mad at people either in one direction or the other. You know, oh, parents just don't understand. Or, you know, now that I'm getting older, I look at millennials and younger and go, oh, come on, you. It's tying into
0: that. Here's the weird thing. The the takeaway isn't. From protagonist and all these people that know what's going on. Hey, maybe we should, you know, we're a covert agency. We're able to do all this weird inverse stuff. Maybe we could also, like, push a secret Green New Deal agenda. Fix our environment so the future isn't so upset at us. Like, it feels like very, like, you're very wrong, you millennials, for being mad at us for destroying the world. Like, they are the bad guys. Like, no, maybe we're the bad guys.
1: Well, no, I mean, Jacob, I just think he's saying that people react in anger. That when they're angry and when they're threatened, they think about retaliating. People's first instincts aren't particularly when they don't know those people. And I think that's the point is they can't go and have that debate and say, let's work this out. Let's form a, a, a Green New Deal. This is something that was done to them by people that they don't know. And so fuck them, get them. Like I think you can, when you depersonalize and dehumanize other people, it's easier to be ugly. It's easier to, to create war.
0: And yet, though, our, in quotes, heroes are doing the same thing. Fuck the people in the future. We're going to keep polluting. No, I think, I think protagonist is not doing that. I think that's why he is the
1: protagonist.
0: Well, I don't see him planting any more trees to try to help the future. It's, what's done is done. Let's fight these bad guys.
1: There is a limit to what one person can do in terms of yeah, reversing global warming.
0: I, I'm just saying this is not a fair and balanced view of people in the future, of generations. If you're saying this about generations attacking each other, our generation's the good one in this one. The people in the future, they suck.
1: No, 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 Jacob. It's not saying that at all. It definitely is not saying that the people in the present are, are good. In fact, Seder represents the person that only lives for himself and doesn't care about anybody else. I think that it is the fair and very fair and balanced. Both are very wrong. And what all that this protagonist is trying to do is prevent them both from mutually self-destruction. Because in reversing time, they may be killing their
3: ancestors and killing themselves. He just wants to stop the war. It is really a bit confusing in that regard. I see both of your sides, and I do think that there is an overall message here of people, you're fucking over Earth, and you're going to screw your future generations. At one point, Seder says, will God forgive me for having a son in a world I knew was going to end? And, you know, that's a thought I've asked people who are having kids right now. I go you understand climate change, right? I mean, you you know what's happening and that if your children live happy lives without anything changing, your grandchildren probably won't. And so you still want to reproduce. So I understand that line and I feel there is a huge environmentalist Al Gore message here, but I'm not positive that it's generational so much as, hey, you watching this, don't just take this as an action film. I have a message.
1: Well, again, I don't have a problem with people having political agendas.
3: I don't either. I mean,
1: I don't want to watch entertainment that has mean, that's meaningless. It needs to be relevant. That's good. The, the line that got cut, it's interesting you bring up that moment. Because in the script, there's two more lines that are said. And I don't know why they didn't include them. But in, in answering that challenge, yeah, will God forgive you for that? I think that ultimately Kenneth Branagh sees himself as God. He says, well, he sacrificed his only son. And so to this character... What does it matter? I am God. All that exists is what I've created and allowed to be. And when I'm gone, it'll be no more. It's still it's living incredibly selfishly. And so he, the reason why he is the enemy is because he, he can't love. He can't care for anyone else. Except Cat, maybe. I mean, that's the sticking point, is that there's still a side of him that wants her approval. And that's where we're at in the story. It's time for Cat to introduce protagonist To the bad guy.
3: We're finally meeting Branagh. Yeah. And again, in the theaters, I could not let myself believe this was Kenneth Branagh. I'm like, really? He's doing the role again? But he does it better here than in Jack Ryan. I like his introduction to the protagonist that my men are going to take you up into the hills, put a hole in your throat and shove your balls in them because I like watching people grab their own balls out of their throat as they die. And again, keep in mind,
1: his association is that my wife cheats on me all the time. And when I find out, I kill them,
3: just like Arepo. Have you slept with my wife yet? And I gotta love the protagonist's response. Not yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of comedy here. Again,
1: stuff that did not occur to me on first viewing. I'm like, oh, this is funny. I didn't know this was funny. I didn't catch that this was funny.
3: Yeah, I was, I was catching that, you know, he's definitely... Playing Sator here and needling him. I was just working so hard. I think, again, it was unpleasant to think I could be getting COVID
1: as I sat there (laughs) breathing. And then I was sitting there so hard working, straining to understand what was being said and going on, I couldn't enjoy it. So, again, just being at home with subtitles and having read the script and been familiar with that, it allowed me to linger on things that a first viewing never could.
0: I'll say this. I'm glad I wasn't in a theater watching this the first time because... At this point, I had given up on trying to understand it, and I just started saying out loud what I was thinking I was hearing mm-hmm. it, To see if that would make sense as it came out of my <laughs> mouth.
1: <laughs> that could be entertaining.
0: I don't know. Uh, donate a couple hundred bucks. I'll give you my audio track. I'll sit there and record my dialogue, and you can just play it over this one. Because sometimes i just be like, <laughs> and... Blah, 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 entropy. Yeah. Like, I'm like, I don't know. Those, those were the noises I heard. Mm-hmm.
1: Something about cinnamon
0: toast and bees? I mean,
1: <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, you can <laughs> just create your own funny Dialogue, if you want, and and who knows, I did write some very strange things down. That when I compared it with the script, I
3: went, "Oh, that is not at all what they said." Okay, throw that out. I read at the time when I saw this that Nolan was taking offense to the criticism that we couldn't understand the words and was saying things like. Audiences are too dependent on dialogue, and we don't need to understand that. I, none of this is unintentional, and people shouldn't be so hung up on it. And I'm here, like, if the dialogue isn't important, then cut it, don't muffle it. I think this is being
0: pretentious because I get it. Like, I try to conceive of a film, okay, like a modern day silent film where you still have music and dialogue but that's not the stuff that matters it's just noise it's just the emotional feeling of the film that that pushes along and you get into the action or or whatever like yeah there's a great experimental art film there uh nolan you you can't throw in a bunch of physics and science that i got to try to understand as well on top of that though you either do something that's just visually grabbing and yeah not make that dialogue important and do something real artistic like that or just explain the damn science to me in a way i could hear it
1: Having taken screenwriter classes, I do know that that's exercises you do. I remember being given that assignment. Okay, you write this. Now you're going to write it again and you can't use a line of dialogue. Now you write this as a radio play and you can't show anything. And it allows your brain to think in different creative ways. So I don't think it's wrong to say that, all right, there's a story that's being told that transcends the exposition. And we have often complained that movies over-explain, that we like subtlety, that we want to be able to pick up through inference and not be told everything all the time. I don't think it's a bad instinct, but I, I hear what you're saying. If you're going to make something with a radical scientific concept like this,
0: exposition the hell out of it.
1: We are best engage with the movie when we feel we understand what's going on
0: or just name the movie reverse soldiers and have a really cool action film where people are running backwards and just make it visual it's really hard to do both of those if you want to be experimental with sound design which again i'm all for it but don't do something this complex it's frustrating for the audience it made me give up on this film the first time i watched it. i mean i'll talk about it later but literally i had no idea what was going on by the end of this i didn't know why there was a war
1: Here's what I would say at this moment is like the most visual of the whole film. This was the moment where I just like kind of my jaw dropped and I was like, oh, so this is why people want to be rich. I don't think I've ever seen luxury presented as so tactile as this movie in this moment like that yacht and that's life like oh they live different don't they like it you hear about it and then you see something like this and it really sends a message that I could never understand by looking at a bank account it's like
0: oh this is your reality it's when we see these sailboats I'm like those don't even have sales I don't know what that is why <laughs> catamaran do- it is so weird looking yeah you got to be super rich to own one of those
1: It's gorgeous. I mean, just this stuff right here, it's just like, oh, this is a Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous episode that is just uh, IMAX-sized. It's amazing to be here in Pompeii, by the way, where that Seder stone was found. They're going back and referencing that, and that's where this yacht is docked, and I really just feel like, oh, I
3: get it. If you could have all the gold in the world, this is your life. I like that. I th- I think it could have been played a little bit more too. I mean, he spends most of his time on a boat. I'd love to see this guy's house, but <laughs> you either do that or golf,
1: right? It just seems like all the richest people golf, like something like like in the end, like they live isolated lives. That's that's the way I ultimately take it. In the end, when you have all of that money, you kind of are by yourself, either on a boat or on a golf course.
3: Here we see Cat kind of. Protecting herself by cutting the rope and going to let him die. And the protagonist has to save him because the arms dealer said, No, he has to live. It's a little bit nebulous as to why. We think it's because we need him for information on plutonium, but we're going to find out later there's a dead man switch on his wrist. He dies, we all die.
0: He's always measuring his heart rate.
3: Yeah, he has a Fitbit. If I don't sense a pulse there,
1: then boom, boom, boom. We, the Well, it's not assembled yet, so it's not in danger of happening because the ninth piece is still floating out there, but there are eight artifacts waiting
3: for their ninth So that they can become the algorithm. If he has a dead man switch on his Fitbit, Mm -hmm. but he doesn't have the ninth piece of the algorithm, Mm -hmm. can't you kill him now and nothing happens because he doesn't have the whole algorithm? Yes, but the
1: the character didn't know that. Protagonist had been told by Priya, who, again, is kind of like a boss, don't do it. But yeah, if he had all the information, and nobody seems to have all the information, everyone is a little bit in the dark, by design then, yeah, you could have probably safely killed him at this point, and the movie's over. So she was right. I do feel like Kat was right to throw him overboard and to slap protagonist around back at the yacht and say, why did you do it? And so Seder is going to explain how he got into the business. This is where we talk about that Chernobyl-like city, Stalsk 12. We see those flashbacks of him as a kid digging up his first gold from the future. And we're going to hear the line that he wants protagonists to get more plutonium for him when really what he wants is that last artifact, that last piece of the algorithm. And it's going to be part of a convoy going through Estonia, sort of Soviet adjacent. It was a part of that empire and now it sort of has this nebulous, small dictatorship, quasi-relationship with democracy and the Russia of today. It's a convoy that... Where, I don't, where
3: is it going? Where do we think this plutonium is going? Is it going to the American government? Like it's going to the CIA?
0: Yeah, I think they say it's some deposit where they put nuclear stuff so it doesn't get out.
1: Okay. Yeah. It's going somewhere. And the point is, is that protagonist has to dress up like a fireman and do a big action scene to get it out.
0: No, he he doesn't. He really doesn't. You're trying to be top secret, steal some, what you think is plutonium. And you're just going to pull up in a bunch of semis and surround these cars. Like this is not a covert operation.
1: No, it's aggression. Like that's just being bigger and bullier. That's just, that's just picking on people with uh, a lot of other larger trucks.
0: And what's so weird is we'll see Neil and protagonist. They're in a car as he's, you know, protagonist is putting on his fireman suit. Like we just talked about the wealth in this film, like everything, very fancy, very expensive. I've never owned anything in this movie. Like they're driving this very nice car. There's a big crack in the side mirror on the passenger side. I'm like, Protagonist knows stuff is going reverse like that's obviously telling me like a bullet's going to hit that or something like they don't notice things and that's part of my frustration too is like at least protagonist he knows about the inversion like I wanted to see him picking up more on clues when this film finally does go in reverse and, and backtracks like things that he would have picked up along the way while he was going forward.
3: I agree. I mean you said that at that moment with the face mask we're supposed to think we're ahead of the movie. But I don't want to be ahead of the protagonist the whole way. And I feel like a lot in this car chase I am. I also think Nolan's kind of trying to recapture some of that Dark night magic where the Joker hijacked that prison truck. And this isn't that good, but it's a good action scene. I like seeing the protagonist on the fire engine ladder and things. That part I didn't care about. Like They go and
1: they get their thing, whatever. I can always feel myself checking out... Whenever there's like a big set piece and I just I don't care about the mission that much. All right. So he gets the thing and it looks like a doodad. And now what? As you say, the rearview mirror is cracked. The way I take that to mean is this is a character that knows about inversion, knows it hasn't happened yet, knows he needs to be on the lookout for something that's going to collide with it. That's all that he knows. So the suspense is built on. I got to watch what's coming at us in the road because it's something backwards is going to be coming soon.
0: Yeah. Except then there's just a car lying in the road. I'm like, well, that's there. That's going to be a backwards chase thing. That's going to pop up and it will soon enough pop up. And we'll, we'll see when this film decides to reverse itself. But again, these things I'm like, okay, this, this is setting up some backwards thing. Why don't we just get to it? Like, why are you trying to play coy or why even if protagonist is trying to keep this all a secret, cause you can't let the future know that, you know, I need something to tell me that protagonist knows. I
1: understand frustration, But what are you asking for the movie to tell you in this moment?
0: Just show me that protagonist knows what's going on. If this is a pincer attack, as we'll find out at the end, and he set it all up, I want him to be picking up on things, to be setting things up.
1: He does do something, and I didn't see it in its forward motion, and I didn't even see it in its reverse motion until I saw it the second time. But, you know, he's put in that quandary of we have backwards Kenneth Branagh with forwards cat being held hostage and he's got to hand over the doodad in three seconds or she's going to be shot with an inverse bullet. This is all happening in the car chase at this moment. He bounces the orange case empty across to Kenneth Branagh and he also throws the doodad in the car in between. I didn't see that but if you watch the movie in both forward and and reverse
0: they didn't cheat. He did do it. Yeah, I caught it the second time. And why are the cars going back? Have the cars been inversed as well? Because like you said, Cat is moving forward. Sater is moving backward. But the car is going backwards during this chase, which again is cool. Like seeing forward and backwards cars, that's all neat. But like we're told like the bullets have to be reversed. All, all this stuff has to be inverted. Was the car inverted or is the guy just driving backwards?
1: I don't know how you would drive one of those cars through the turnstile. So I think he was just dr- driving it in reverse
0: because he was inverted. That's easier because you're inverted. Because, yeah, we will see protagonists do that in a little
3: bit. It was really weird why the car was in reverse. It was cool looking because I believe it to be a practical stunt. I believe there's somebody driving a car in reverse at high speeds. Oh, definitely is. Yeah. But, I mean, when the protagonist gets behind the wheel a little bit later, he's not driving backwards. He's just having trouble controlling the car at all because friction is backwards. I don't think if you drive in reverse, that makes friction forwards, you know? (laughs) Yeah,
1: some of this may just be because we think that this is the gimmick of the movie and we want to do a big chase scene with reverse cars. I'm not totally sure I understand exactly why either, other than it's cool. Where I really get lost, though, is in this next moment. When we think that, okay, they're taken prisoner and we find out there's a second turnstile and all of a sudden there's
3: reverse Branos and other Branos and all of this.
0: Yeah, what is going on here? I I even after the second time, I don't understand this scene.
3: What's happened is Branaw is coming back in time because he will go through the turnstile. And so what's happening on the Branaw side hasn't happened yet on our side. And so that's why when Branaugh goes through Then we see it from the other side and to him it's forward. What I don't get is why you walk out of a turnstile before you walk into a turnstile. (laughs) Like, then I I would think you'd have to enter and exit like simultaneously, but earlier it said, oh, don't go in until you see yourself coming out. Otherwise you're not coming out. I don't understand that little time hop. Yeah, No, you, you understood it correctly. It's got to be
1: simultaneous. If you go in and you don't see something on the other side of the glass that looks like you coming out, guess what? Something went wrong and you're never coming out. So make sure you can see yourself coming out. It has to be simultaneous. The interesting thing to note, and I didn't pay attention to this the first time, and it's all over the movie. I should have, but they have a color coordination. Blue and red? Red is forward, and it's going to be on the right... And blue is on the left, and it's backward. And so Kenneth Branagh is on the forward side, hiding in a back room. This whole time, waiting for his other backward self to do all of that that it's doing. So there is essentially two Kenneth Branaghs, one on each side.
0: But there's not two that they have to kill at the end of this. There's just the one.
1: I'm not sure how he totally disappears. I can't quite get that. I do like the suspense of the moment in which, you know, we have Brenna putting his wife in front of this glass and it's got a bullet shot in it. And we just know before he's pulled the trigger that he's going to do it. But it's crazy making because he's speaking backwards and to him... The protagonist is also speaking backwards and he's holding up his phone because he has an app for that. And so that's like what's <laughs> yeah. going on with the phone. Is that what's happening? That's what's happening is the app can tell you, can reverse it for you.
0: Is that a special like tenant made app or is that just on, I could go get that on the app store right now.
1: I have no idea because I don't want to do it because it's crazy making. <laughs> it's so much, that, like this was like a David Lynch, like nightmare dream sequence at this point that people are talking backwards with Russian acts And yeah, I really felt myself losing the plot in this moment, and I still feel like I don't totally get. But what I understand is there's now a second Branau out in the world. There's two of them. That out of this exchange, there's two Branaus out in the world, and he can't get back through this because there's a whole bunch of armed guards that will shoot him if he tries to come back through.
3: Are there two Branaus, or is the Branau we saw earlier the one who is reverse? And that's why he was driving backwards.
1: I mean, there is a reverse Branagh, but there is also the other one that went through that will be, throughout the climax, there's two of them. The important thing to keep in mind for the second half of the movie, there are two of them floating around. One of them will die, and then one of them will continue on, as we know. Are you sure? Here's the part I'm not sure. I don't quite get the physics of all of that. But yes, I think that he has to be kept alive and part of it is they're trying to trick him into thinking that he knows what's going to happen in the past and concealing at the same time that he's going to die.
3: Okay, I kind of see what you're saying here. Let's take it this way. Time moves forward, right? But in this movie, it can also go in reverse. However, as a human being, your story moves forward, okay? Okay. So if there's two of you, one of you is doing something either you have done mm-hmm. or you will do, right. It's not like all of a sudden you're twins who can do other things. So when Sater dies at the end, it is the end of Sater, but there is another Sater because the Sater who died went back in time a week. Right. Another Sater has a week to live before he goes through the same loop. I don't know if you clarified it, but that was what I was trying to say. Uh, okay. <laughs> that, that's totally
0: different than what I thought you were saying. I thought you were saying Sater has to stay alive so the future doesn't know he's killed. So they keep going through with their plan. No, no, what I'm trying to say
1: is what Arnie said, is that... No, Mary, no, I
0: get that. I, I thought you were saying the episode.
1: <laughs> in the climax of the film, there's one that dies, and then there's one that must continue on so that he does die. Okay. He loops back in on himself, essentially. You create these curly cues, as it were, in the timeline, with your secondary
0: selves. And I guess if no one knows about the drop from the future and the artifacts have been spread out all over, there, there's no one for the future to communicate with, I guess. Right. But why would they pick Sader? Because they're going to find out he's dead in the future. Why, why did who pick Seder? Why would the future pick Seder? I, I guess they just put a note down and whoever found it could talk to them. Because he had
1: access to the nuclear waste. He was daring enough to dig into nuclear waste. And the line is said, that is where the person that broke up the algorithm hid all the artifacts.
0: So they didn't know they were dealing with Seder? Don't they know he fails? So pick someone else? um it gets too hard for me to figure that
1: <laughs> yeah, out exactly. i don't know i don't know maybe
3: there is a scene where robert pattinson asks the protagonist does your head hurt yet and i think i'm getting to that point with this discussion it's like ow yeah. you're straining something
1: well here's the one that i still haven't figured out how did the machines get there i know they're invented in the future so how did they show up now
0: I think when we see like 15-year-old Seder dig up that first artifact that we think is plutonium, there's instructions. Like he's looking at some letter or something. I think they gave him instructions and in gold so he could, you know, buy everything and build them. He builds them. He was the one that engineered them. In Rhodus. I think they drop a line about that too. I think you're right, because
1: Rhodus, it's put on all of the free ports that Rhodus, which, by the way, is Seder backwards, and on the Seder tablet. But Rodas built that Pentagon Freeport, and at the center of all of them are these turnstiles. So he must have built that. If he's building the thing around it, he must have built that as well. Okay, that helps, sort of. I mean, I, I think you're right. Let's not go too much more into this time loopy stuff. I get what I need to know here, and I get the fact that at this point in the movie, we as the audience should want to experience what it is to be reversed. And so for reasons that aren't, great protagonist is going to run off to try and save cat
0: they set up a line earlier that if you get shot with an inverted bullet because it's reverse entropy it really does some damage to you and because cat got hit with that inverted round I don't know why they can't use the machine there. They got to invert her somewhere else to heal her.
3: They need her to be in this reverse time for three to five days to heal from the wound before they bring her back. Okay. And this isn't a safe spot to do that now? No, because they wouldn't be able to get back into this because it's in a secure location, so the question is, how can you get into one? Well, hey, a week ago, we just happened to break into this other one in Oslo.
0: Yeah, and again, the first time watching this, this was all lost on me because I'd given up trying to understand the films. So I'm like, why are they hanging out in a storage container? Why are they going back to the airport scene? It's very confusing, too, because in the storage container, you don't need to wear an oxygen
1: mask. So I was like, is this the past or not? And the answer is yes. If you see plastic lining on the walls, it's still the past. Oxygen mask or plastic Plastic lining means they're traveling backwards in time. They put a big freight container in one of those machines. But the, the thing I was referring to is Protagonist is also going to try and save Cat from being attacked in this reverse timeline because we have Branau now saying, I'm going to go back in time and kill Cat, And we're supposed to think that Protagonist loves her enough to go out there and we get this scene where he's looking up and the birds are flying backwards and we see him driving that car. We're experiencing the tactile feeling of being inverted.
0: I wish I was feeling it. This movie says, don't understand, just feel. But I feel like when we, yeah, when we go inverse or when cat gets shot with an inverse bullet somehow, I I don't know. I wanted that to be more visual storytelling. Yeah. Forget about the audio Forget about the sound design. Do something real trippy. Instead, we get some reverse noises. Yeah, and some backwards birds and a puddle going up instead of down.
3: And a car that he has trouble keeping straight because friction is different. And when Sador ignites the gas trail, which we've seen in a million movies, it gives him hypothermia instead of burns him to death. That was kind of cool.
1: Like the fact that, yeah, that fire could, because it's sucking the, in reverse, it would be sucking all of the oxygen out that you would freeze. Like, there were interesting notions to that.
3: That was a Nolanism. The physicist article I read was like, ah, bullshit. Yeah, it seemed kind of silly that, yeah. Instead of fire, it's ice. Sometimes bullshit
1: is entertaining. I mean, again, I like the the notion of it.
0: Yeah, I agree with you, Stuart. I wish there was more bullshit in this movie. That is just a crazy high concept, and they didn't get bogged down in so many logistics.
1: Here's my comparative. It's a little weird, but... Follow me if you can. I used to make ice cream a lot. It was sort of a hobby of mine. And there's a process to that. You got to make a custard.
0: The rock salt and rolling it. Yeah. Well, I
1: didn't even use those churns. No, like I did. I had my own system. But there's several steps you have to take. It's not hard to do, but it's not easy to do either. Like you could just throw in something into the ice cream mixer or you could take all of these other steps and do it. And one time I decided, I was going through all the recipe books, oh, buttermilk ice cream. Let me take all of these steps, do all of this stuff to make buttermilk ice cream. And guess what it tastes like? Frozen yogurt. Only three times the calories. (laughs) I spent all of this energy and all of this, spend all of this time and, and effort. And in the end, it looks like something that you could have done very cheaply. And I do feel like sometimes when I certainly watching these behind the scenes, where I realize that people were trained to drive backwards, that sometimes we're not watching the camera. Reversed, it's not film turned backwards. Oh,
0: I never feel like it's just reversed footage.
1: It's people sometimes trying to like go backwards while other ones are going forwards. They could have done that as a composite shot with computer generation, but Nolan said, No, let's spend 500 million more and do it practically. I'm not sure he gets the bang for the buck that he thought he would. I don't know that this because we have seen things reverse in movies for all of our lives. It just doesn't have the wow factor of like that dream sequence fight in Inception.
3: No, I wish it did. And the fact that they are going to spend so much time in this movie, just waiting for time to pass backwards like they do while she's healing. And they're going to do it for another week later. It robs the movie of momentum and creates entropy. Right.
1: They go back and experience themselves in that turnstile, and they sneak her in, which
0: I—like, that was weird. Do they show that? I feel like I see her get into an ambulance. I don't even remember seeing her go through the turnstile. It's bizarrely put
1: in, but yes— they have her on a stretcher and when the time is right, Neil like whips her in really, really fast. But it's it's awkward and this is where I feel like the movie would slow down even if I understood it all. Like I'm like, this is just not satisfying to watch. I'm ready to get to the end. I can feel my exhaustion kind of kicking in and, and this is time wasting and it's just people sitting around in,
3: in containers. I feel bad for the protagonist in that he has to fight himself. But Neil just, like, runs through unobstructed. (laughs) Yeah, and
1: again, like, we knew this was coming, and... It's just not mind-blowing in the same way I remember my mind being blown when we had Joseph Gordon-Levitt is running up walls. and You know, like that truly, having watched Inception again after 10 years, like that movie, even when you don't understand, that movie can blow you away. And this movie rarely has that impact
0: on me. Yeah, I think I said in that review, like, give Nolan a Spider-Man movie. That was a great Spider-Man scene with Gordon-Levitt jumping all over. Here, don't give him Endgame. I don't want to see the Avengers time-hopping in a Nolan film.
1: Yeah, I think there are limits because he's guided by certain principles of logic and self seriousness. There's just his he has difficulty having fun. I actually believe that the, there's a part of him that's trying to learn. How to have joy and fun and love and romance.
0: Yeah, remember all that talk about love and interstellar and how awkward it comes off? Yeah, he's trying to learn
1: that, but it's not his skill set. And I think it's a fault of this movie, too. I really do wish that protagonist loved Cat a lot more than it's coming off on screen.
0: Yeah, do you want him to end up with Cat? Usually in a Bond film, you know, he he gets with the Bond girls and that's always a fun little scene. Here, I don't care if Cat and protagonist end up together.
3: I don't either, and I wish there was more to Cat than I love my son. Mm-hmm. That's
0: all it is. That
3: seems to be her only thing, and her trouble is for a moment I thought about leaving my son to escape an abusive man. When they find out about the algorithm and they're like, all the people who have or ever will live will die. She goes, and my son will die. Yeah. <laughs> it is a little funny. I, I agree. She's
1: she, Again, I like some of her interplay with, with protagonists, but they don't have the romantic chemistry they need. And that's difficult to diagnose why. If it's the casting chemistry, if it's the script and the lugubriousness of the what they have to do and
3: how could anyone fall in love when they're running through turnstiles and getting shot with inverted bullets. I feel like they're not characters. They don't even bother giving the protagonist a name. Yes, these actors are creating wry little moments mm-hmm. through delivery and things. And I think the, I have to praise the actors for giving what humanity the script didn't for these characters. Why do I not care about their love story? Because I don't care about them. This is a movie about the what, not about the who.
1: Yeah, I feel that Nolan is getting lost in his details. And another pass on this script, more time with the rehearsal. I- God forbid I say
0: this. We needed David Goyer to punch this up a little bit.
1: Yeah, maybe. I mean, I, I definitely feel like it could use a little bit more genre. And that it had, it did spend a whole lot in the beginning chasing a, a painting. And maybe the second half, we're just exhausted and we're not with it in the way that we need to. But I can definitely feel like my... Still, even on second viewing, even though I understand it better, I can feel my enthusiasm... Uh, waning as we get to what should be the you know the biggest stunt piece yet when they're finally going to raid that russian town forwards and backwards and try to stop their
3: algorithm from being buried explain one thing to me earlier when sator was shooting his wife backwards this military group led by ives shows up and then now they're going to be this whole ending who are these people (laughs) Well, because it's a pincer attack. We're not seeing the whole
0: thing. There are people moving backwards. There are people moving forward that have talked with the future. There's stuff going on all over, but we're experiencing it, I guess, for the first time like protagonists.
3: But who are they? I mean, they obviously all know about time travel because they know the other squad is attacking backwards.
0: I think Ives does. Yeah, they, they know there's people inverted. I don't know how much they really know, though. Ives seems to know what the algorithm is based on the ending of this film. I don't know about the rest of the soldiers.
1: Jacob, they all know. And the reason why they know is they have, they have one of the machines. We see them doing that. In their training, they actually have a turnstile.
0: No, I get that because they know they're inverted, but do they know about this algorithm? Do they know about these people from the future? Again, you're trying to keep this quiet. Why would you tell hundreds of soldiers?
1: Well, let's slow this down a little. They know how to work inverted, and that's what they do. But they're soldiers. They follow orders. They answer to Priya. And so Priya, again, is supposed to be the mastermind. This is the part of the story where they've gone back to her and say, why did you have me give him that object? You set me up to, like, feed the enemy the thing. And she goes, you know, basically you find out, like, that's what I wanted. And so, again, it makes her look like she's the one pulling the string. She's the puppet master here.
0: Yeah, she says, you are a protagonist. You're not the only guy here. Right.
1: And so, yeah, she... Believe she has most of the control. She has these people working for them. And so I think that this is kind of her operation.
3: So they're all her people, but she's quasi tenant and. No, she's tenant. I don't know why you keep quasiing her. She's tenant. Because she's going to betray them in the end? No, she doesn't betray
1: them, there's no betrayal. The path is that once we've wrapped all of this up, and you're going to see this as we reach the end, everyone's got to die that knows what we're doing. Because we are trying to tell everyone how not to make the nuclear bomb. We are trying to reverse the, the Pandora's box so that it doesn't get out into the world. And the best way to do that is to scatter all the pieces and then
3: kill all the people that know where those pieces are. And then the algorithm. Let's talk algorithm for a moment. Mm-hmm. In this movie, the algorithm is a bunch of metal cubes that fit together. It is, according to the people that
1: designed it, designed to look like the symbols you would use writing a mathematical formula. I don't have that training. I can't speak to it.
0: None
3: of them look like a plus sign or a minus sign to me. Apparently they kind of do. I went to Webster's Dictionary. An algorithm is, quote, a process or set of rules to be followed in calculations or other problem-solving operations, especially by a computer. Yeah, it's not a physical thing. No, well, I could even go with, you have represented an algorithm in physical form through some kind of art. Right. However, it's still only going to be instructions on how to do something it's not, in fact, in and of itself, a bomb that's going to be set off to reverse time. And- but
0: that's how it's set up in this movie, is once
3: Sater dies, it goes off.
0: Yeah, okay, you're
1: being a little literal. I mean, yeah, just accept the fact that it's nine pieces to a bomb. Like, that's, that's all we really need here. The nine pieces.
3: Then don't call it an algorithm!
1: Yeah, call it a reverse nuclear bomb, because that sounds awesome. I mean, I'm not going to get caught up in the
3: jargon. Like, that's what they decided to name it. I'm trying to understand the fucking movie, yeah. and they're using a lot of jargon, and so I'm trying to parse it and understand this movie, and so they're saying they have an
0: algorithm. But you're not supposed to understand it. You're supposed to feel it.
1: Again, each piece is its own individual thing, and I believe they all do have plutonium in them. I think that the, when they're saying that they're going for plutonium, and most people believe it's plutonium heist, it's not totally a lie, because there's plutonium inside these doodads, but very few people know what the doodads are because they're invented in the future. Nobody in the present really knows them. But if you did know what they were doing, each individual thing looks like a part of a formulatic equation. That's what they came up with that they thought would be fun to represent. I guess they could have done something boring, like just had a blimp bomb and and make it that, but they, they tried to make it a little bit more nerdy. But by
3: having this formula next to a nuclear bomb... It's not going to reverse time, because it's just a formula. It's not a mechanical thing. It's just... It is a mechanical thing, Arnie. Just please go with that. In no point are we
1: shown it to be mechanical. It is, I mean, it's a machine. They're holding it. It's It's
3: parts that we've seen assembled together. It's a Voltron. We've seen giant bricks that look like weights on free weights. Only square instead of circles. That is what we have seen. I have not seen wiring, circuitry, or anything to tell me this is a device. Yeah, they just click them together like Legos. Yes, exactly.
0: I mean, the problem is it's all tell and no show. It, when Sator dies, it's going to set that thing off and somehow reverse entropy and the future comes to the past or something. It's bad. That's all we know. It's bad.
1: No, no can, Let me help out a little bit. Here's what I do understand. In the future, what makes it tip in that way is the fact that the inverted radiation, whatever, the properties of the entropy, we got to get it into the past in order for this thing to work. So the gold not only has been enriching Branau, but it has been polluting our world. In the same way that we polluted their world, they're now polluting us so that when enough of that gold comes back at us, That's when that thing can activate. That's how it works. It has to have enough of that. Wait, what? Where'd you
3: get this? It's in the dialogue.
0: Okay.
3: Yeah, they do say that the more they send stuff back, the more time is flowing in both directions. We're dominant because more stuff has been moving forward. Okay. But the reverse entropy... A seesaw. Yeah. It goes back the other way
1: when enough of it, and I guess enough gold has come back, which again shows you Kenneth Branagh only cares about himself. Because he's like, I want the gold. I don't care if it's going to kill everyone else. And when I
3: die, you're all going to die. I mean, he says that to Kat. If I can't have you, no one can. And that's supposed to be a big revelation later that he means that about the whole world. Right. And so his
1: other self has decided that that's the moment he's going to kill himself. He even has the CIA little thing. I'm not sure exactly how he got it. Maybe he got it off the protagonist. I My head hurts trying to think, but let's just say that he has CIA connections and he's ready to kill himself because his lover has rejected him on that boat. And so they know this is a pivotal moment in history. While while that's going to happen on that boat, the opera house is being attacked and this algorithm is being buried and no one will be able to get to it and it's going to go off. So we're going to have a climax in which the soldiers are going to pull the algorithm out before it gets buried. Does it need to be this complex? Of course it doesn't. Is it more fun that it is?
3: No.
0: no. <laughs> <laughs> like my question, are they in Stalsk 12? Like they talk about that is the dead drop that they in yes. the future. So that's where they have to go to get this bomb
3: at the end. Yes, they've been talking about Stalsk Twelve the whole time.
0: I'm I'm glad I got that on my second viewing because again, the first time I had no idea why there was armies running around. I'm like, oh, there's a war all of a sudden. Okay.
1: Even Brownell calls back for reasons into a CB radio that is down in the the hyper chamber thing at the end, and he's saying, "This is the what is it like for you to see where my beginning is your end or something?" So like, this is where he dug up his first messages from the future this is where he trades with them so yeah he gets his gold and and they send back the pollution in this way here at this spot and i think he even had a line of dialogue that says nobody else is allowed to be around here they evacuated the town and his company Rotus is the only one that does the business
3: the end is I mean, it's a big military operation. We've seen Nolan do ones like this before with Dunkirk... It's somewhat cool when a reverse person bazookas a building and a forward person bazookas it right next.
0: Yes, that is the highlight of the film for me, Arnie. Like, that is the one scene that even the first time I watched this stuck out to me. I don't know why the reverse people blow it up if it's just going to come back together. But again, whatever with this time travel. It's cool looking. And if I'm supposed to not understand it and feel it, then show more of that stuff.
1: And here's my frozen yogurt comparative. One would think that you would just... Do that in post, right? But no, they actually built a building that could be reassembled or fall apart practically.
0: Mm, Okay, I see. To me, I just assumed it was in post, so that's a failure. Just just do it with computers there. Why spend
1: that much money? Why that many calories, (laughs) Nolan? Why do that? It just tastes like yogurt when you reverse the footage. You know, if... If he'd done that in computer this movie might have made money. Yeah. Yeah. I, again, some it's fascinating that people are dedicated in that
3: way. I just wish I understood more. Well, I guess I do. When I watched it the second time, the military briefing was very clear. All these troops are a diversion so that a splinter group of two people from one side who are Ives and the protagonist, and one person from the other side, Neil, can go for the algorithm while everybody else is failing to turn off a nuke. And the reason why, I don't know that
1: it's a nuclear bomb, it's just an explosion. It's something to bring the rocks down on the algorithm.
3: When talking about this dead drop, the place where they're putting the algorithm, the protagonist says it's a hypocenter, which is the ground zero for an underground nuclear test. Mm-hmm. And the dead drop is at the bottom of that hypocenter. So I thought that they were... I, I'm pretty sure that bomb's nuclear.
1: I, no, I took that to mean what what the city was for previously, back in
3: the Soviet Union days. Like, why there is an underground city. Yeah, all they say to the people is our job is to fail to defuse that bomb. So I I was very curious how the protagonist could survive such a close call with a nuke. Maybe it's not a nuke. It's not a nuke.
1: Yeah, no, yeah, that wouldn't make any sense. They would all be radiated and you wouldn't have to kill each other at the end because you're all walking dead. But, yeah, I I take it to mean that, yes, this hypocenter is where they were doing that kind of testing back in the day and where uh, there's a silo, right? They're putting that we have this we haven't talked about him yet, but Volkoff has been sort of the odd job henchman in Bond metaphor to Branall, he's been the big, tough, bald guy that's been kind of glowering and in the background. He's been the one to be tasking to, to make sure that this thing stays buried, and I think he's trying to drop it down a missile silo, maybe? And then at some point, Neil knows things that he's doing and decides to self-sacrifice by reversing his reverse self so that he can run in there, get shot,
3: and deactivate the algorithm. I think. Uh, He has to open a door and take a bullet for the protagonist, because this henchman of Sator was going to shoot the protagonist, and Neil, though we don't know it's Neil, takes the bullet for him.
0: Uh, We know it's Neil. It shows that same red talisman on him.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's it's bookending what he did for him at the opera house, which is happening at the same time, by the way, in, in the... In a, different, in a different way, that opera stuff is all going on while all of this stuff is going on, while all the stuff in the Vietnam holiday is going on as well. And so, yes, I, I don't quite get exactly what he did, but I think he also did something to the algorithm because Branagh is going to die before he's supposed to, and yet it doesn't do,
3: it doesn't explode. I don't understand that either. When I said I got 80%, that means the last 20% of this movie is a question mark to me. After two watchings, reading the subtitles. The way I took it,
0: because I agree, there's a countdown. There's like from 10. So I'm like... They both have 10 minutes, both sides. It's all, they're
1: they're going simultaneously from opposite ends. Red team, blue team.
0: Oh, okay. I thought that was a countdown. I I thought 10 seconds from when his Fitbit stopped reporting that he was alive. And I thought like maybe the future would then find out he was dead and then send, I don't know, somehow set off the algorithm, but I, I don't think that's the case. But again, I don't understand it.
1: I think they want to make sure this algorithm is out of the cavern and can't be buried before he dies.
0: Yeah, they make a big deal of getting it out of there before he dies. But when he dies, it doesn't set it up. So I guess just getting it out of there is enough?
1: Uh, yeah, that's the mechanics of all of that remain lost to me. Listeners, let us know. <laughs> yeah, maybe Neil did something. That was my assumption. Or maybe all Neil did was just sacrifice his life to save Protagonist. Which seems like he could have done that in a different way, but... Anyway, it, it helps show that this, they truly are friends for him to take a bullet in this way, even though it seems like they were just getting to know each other in this movie. Yes, it must be true that they've had several adventures previously with Time Traveler protagonists.
0: Can we talk about how Sater dies?
3: The suntan lotion? Yeah. <laughs> I don't entirely follow why she's so obsessed with the suntan lotion on the deck. She's not going to try to push him off. No, she has to get him
0: off because they show him dragging his body afterwards. So they got to get his body out of there.
3: Yeah, she,
1: yeah. So this boat has neither cat nor satyr, right? We both know that like she was on shore touring Pompeii
3: with her son and he was off somewhere else. And so there are others are here. And when she talked earlier about seeing a woman dive off the boat and she envied that woman's freedom, we all knew it was her. It was going to be her. Yes, I mean, again, some of these,
1: if they're meant to be disguised, they're it's thinly veiled. But again, this movie's so confusing. You, I, I don't feel like a, like I really am ahead of this film. But yes, that part I was waiting for. How is she going to see herself? Her other self is here to commit a hit. There's a guy that's going to shoot a flare that tells her, I think, when the algorithm is pulled out. That's the signal to say, kill him. Or maybe it's the signal to say your other self is coming on board the yacht.
3: Wasn't clear. Did you guys know why Mahir is there with the flare gun? He's there to tell her the algorithm is defused. You can kill him now. Yeah, I got that.
1: Okay. And, and it's not to tell her, or tell her her other self is coming. I, I was
3: like, it's one or the other. But no, because the other self wasn't supposed to come for a long time. But then, unexpectedly, Sator says, "Bring my son back." Ah, you're right. Okay,
0: you, yeah, because he knows that something's going on that she's a duplicate. Okay, you're right.
1: Yes. And so this is where we have to care about their relationship, which is hard because this is the part that Nolan has not spent a a really good time uh, developing the love triangle as it should. A different director. It would be interesting. They'd probably get some of the technical things wrong, but I think we would be more dialed in to the heartbeat Of this, And again, the bonus material kept saying you're going to love her, how her story is so translatable and, you know, look into this watch. (laughs) You will love her. I'm like, I don't
0: I, I don't know that people do. No, I get her out of this movie.
1: Yeah, I think that this is a hard sell for this movie is that we're now to care about the fact that she had this bad marriage. And suddenly this is a relationship drama for about five minutes. I wish it did, and I, I feel like other directors would have been able to to do it, but Nolan can't.
0: Can someone, or, or maybe even you, Arnie, write an algorithm that can teach Christopher Nolan like emotion and relationships and like how to make satisfying ones in a movie? Because damn, he fails every
3: time. Hey, I think we need to do time travel to Star Trek: The Next Generation and put Data's emotion ship in <laughs> Nolan's head because it is like Commander Data simulating human emotion through. Screenplay. Yeah, it didn't serve him well in Interstellar to have Matthew McConaughey Murph. burst down Murph. into tears. <laughs> I, that's all I remember from Interstellar is Matthew McConaughey yelling Murph from behind giant books. That's literally all I remember, and I hate it. Yeah, I, it's what made me think that I
1: didn't like that movie, and it's just I didn't like that scene. I didn't like that ending. But the movies, eh. It's got its high points, and my point is that I don't feel like this emotional... Malarkey is as offensive as that. Now, this is not a deal-breaker here in the end, but I do feel like her storyline is far less interesting than whatever the hell they're doing trying to get the artifact out of the ground.
0: I mean, we've talked about so many questions we've had in this movie, and, like, why didn't they just put, throw an insert shot of this or that just to help it make it a little bit more clear? But damn it, they don't spend a lot of time showing her, like, get that suntan lotion, spray it all over the deck, get it all wet and slippery, like, hide the gun, like... But
1: when the body goes over, ouch, that is like a painful fall.
0: Yeah, no, that is a cool shot. Seeing the way that head hits the deck and like that net breaks. Mm -hmm,
3: That is, that is harsh and Brana deserves it. We've really come to hate him. If, If Nolan gets one emotion right, it's how loathsome Sator is in this movie by being abusive to women, by being an egomaniac. Yeah, he's he's a murderer, woman abuser, like, holding his son hostage. It's not hard
0: to hate this guy. I don't know if Nolan gets it right. That's just a twirly mustache villain.
1: No, no, but it's interesting because, again, it's all in the dialogue, but he's also God. Is this how we should feel about our creator if he set us all up to die in this way?
0: There is so much in the end about faith and what happened happened, and that's about having faith in the mechanics of the world, and we still have to do our part. Like, I wish this was more of a movie about confronting God or having faith. And chaos, or any of that. Like there, there are some cool lines, and I'm glad I watched it the second time with the subtitles so I could get them. Like w- one of my big problems the first time I watched this is like, why wasn't this whole movie a pincer move? Oh, we are told that at the end that they are just doing a big pincer move, so I'm glad they at least acknowledged that. But pick a theme and go with it.
1: Well, there are several themes. It's dense, but the the exchange I'm talking about specifically is we, we have Branow on that CB radio talking to protagonist while he's down there in the. Hypocenter, Center, and he's do, having his whole God complex down there. And it said, madman or God, and protagonist is like, what's the difference? I mean, they, it's just a little thing that they throw in there. But I do feel like while we can hate Branow and he is despicable, there is some thought about the notion of our creator that sets us up in this way. And so the movie is getting, I think, ultimately to the idea of what is our social responsibility? In a world where time is manipulative, what can we do to influence the future so that they don't try to send things
0: back to kill us? Murder people. It's the most Hollywood answer. Again, plant some trees, guys. Don't murder people. <laughs> plant some trees. Fix the climate. I think there will
1: be people trying to do that. But again, I, I think you're you're blaming the spies on screen for not doing the ecological digging. And I think
0: that seems like the most satisfying Answer to the dilemma here. You want to see a movie about people planting trees? Look, if you got dialogue that I could understand and it's well-written, yeah, sure. I love the cherry tree, that that play by Chekhov.
1: Well, the movie that they wind up on is Casablanca. When we finally get them pulled out of the hole, they do a, a famous inversion of the line, the beginning of a beautiful friendship. This is where we find this is the end of a beautiful friendship. For one of them. He's going to go down there and get shot. But, hey, you're going to find out in the future that we had all of this fun.
3: That's something that was pretty obvious coming. And I think it's good. I do, again, wish Pattinson were older. We're just the person playing that Neil character. But it's a good ending to this. I mean, mission accomplished. But it's
1: also important to point out there's a third guy there. And Ives is like, yeah, it's time to kill all of you. I want to kill you.
0: Was that part of the plan? Uh, that caught me by surprise.
1: No, no. It's there in the, when he talks about the splinter team. The reason why there are a splinter team of two is I only want to have to kill you and myself. Like, I don't want to have to do all these people.
0: Okay. He was going to kill himself too then.
1: Yes. I forget exactly the line, but it's a pointed thing of like, I thought we could take care of each other is I think the way that he puts it. So he has the attitude that if we're the only ones that know that we have these artifacts and, and what they do, and I'm not even sure that Ives knows exactly what they do, and nobody knows how they work, I guess he feels comfortable enough breaking them up and scattering around the world, and if I ever see you again, I'll give you the chance to disappear. And if I ever see you again, I'll kill you, but you, I'll let you decide whether when and if you should kill yourself.
0: Well, it would have been weird if he just killed himself and the other two because then the algorithm would have just been laying on the ground for someone else to find.
1: <laughs> right. They they have to disassemble it and they have to scatter it about and no one need know where they go. So it's some kind of ending here that, again, maybe a sequel is planned. Maybe they could do more here and, and that could be something in the future. But I I tend to
3: think not. No, I think if Nolan could reverse time maybe he wouldn't have released this film in 2020 but he did and the protagonist story is told but yeah th- there's one more person to bump
1: off again the, the head of tenant or so or so she thought and it turns out that no the head of tenant is protagonist and he's going to make sure he's the only one that knows He's going to be the puppet master.
3: Which cat is this at the end? Is this the, because there's two cats, right? No, because again, eventually the second cat will catch up with the first cat because the second cat eventually has to go back in time and forward in time to eventually there's only one cat. And this is the cat that jumped off the boat and has the stomach scar. Yeah. Cause she has the
0: phone that protagonist gave her. Mm hmm. Yeah. It has to be that cat.
3: Yeah,
1: exactly. Because she communicated in the phone where she was going to be. It told Priya from future, you know, knowing that, okay, this is where we can take a hit out on her. But in fact, it was where protagonists could take a hit out on Priya. And so twist, 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 twist. You know Nolan. He likes to be spinning around like the turnstiles themselves here. It's head spinning for sure. But he was killing Priya because Priya was going to kill Cat. Right, because no one can know. Because she was part of the inner circle that knew what was going on. Because in the end, in order to protect the future, you have to kill everyone that ever knew about this stuff. And there's only one left. But that person is going to be the protagonist. It's not
3: going to be her. And Ives. And Kat.
1: (laughs) Well, again, Ives made a generous and maybe risky, depending on how the sequel works out, like maybe he'll regret that choice, but he ultimately decided maybe he didn't want to die himself, but he ultimately said, I'll give you the opportunity to disappear. And if I see you again, and I'm going to be looking for you, too. I mean, he made that point. I'm not going to just let you go off in the sunset. I'm going to give you a 10 minute head start. It's kind of how it feels like. I'll let you run ahead. But basically, after I hide mine, I'm coming for you. And so we have a final moment of maybe generational healing, a young child holding older cat's hand, uh, a symbol of, like, the future and the present harmonious mother and child. Although they're still dead in the future, right? Like, you're, as, as you pointed out, Jacob, no one's planting trees. So ultimately, <laughs> yeah. if not Max, then Max's grandkids.
0: There's so much murder they have to cover up, like, kill all these soldiers. Plant trees. It's a better solution. It's easier.
1: Maybe that's where they're walking off to go do. They're going to (laughs) go to a seed factory and just Johnny Appleseed the shit out of this. Like
0: people of the future. Don't send gold. Send seed. We'll plant them. (laughs) We'll make trees for you.
1: Again, I think you're missing the idea that it's more fun to watch people battle than it would be for this agrarian utopia.
0: Sometimes it's more fun to watch people battle. It depends on the director.
3: Let's find out then. Yes. Jacob Stewart, do you recommend and in the future will you recommend and in the past did you recommend Tenet? <laughs> Jacob.
0: I am going to go into the past. If you're, I, I don't know, what was this? June, July, August, whenever it came out in theaters. I don't see this film because it's going to be an awful experience. It's hard to understand. Like, it's a very complex film. Like, as Nolan conceived it, without the aids of subtitles and being able to pause and rewind and rewatch scenes, don't watch it the way Nolan wants you to. In a theater with sound, you can't understand. So, straight up. But what about when you could sit down and really dissect this film? You know, now that I've I've watched it and I could rewind and read the subtitles, I understand it more But did that make me like it more? Like, did that change it from a not recommend to a recommend? And my problem is, like, this film tells me don't try to understand it. Feel it. Like, that is a line from the film. And as just going with this film as an experience of crazy backwardness and and all this weird convoluted time stuff... It's a mess, and and that's not always a problem. Like, ambiguity is not always a problem. Not uh, Lacking a plot is not always a problem. Some of my favorite movies, 2001, A Space Odyssey. Like, first time I watched that, I didn't understand everything I had seen, but I knew I liked what I saw. Like, Eraserhead, Cats, these are films that, like, plots are not the primary thing, but I still get something out of them. Even the first time I watched it and I didn't fully understand and everything, it made me want to go back and watch it again. And my point is there are movies that work despite lacking a narrative or plot where they are more experimental, where they are more about feeling it like 2001. That is a movie for me that you feel, you don't try to understand it. You just, you stand in awe of, of meeting this monolith. Maybe that's representation for God, whatever this film Okay, I watched it again. I understood it. Um, I don't care. I I don't want to watch it a third time. I don't want to dissect it. And I... I there's nothing that just absorbs me with the visuals that make up for the, for the plot that's hard to understand or the dialogue that's hard to hear. Like, there's nothing that makes up for that. This isn't – and here's the thing. I know I'm coming off as very angry and very passionate. And the reason is I feel like I'm an English teacher. I, I've seen young Chris Nolan. You know, he start, I had him in my freshman English class. He turned in following. Okay, Interesting film. This this kid's got promise. I I experienced, you know, in his sophomore and junior years, he gave me the Dark Knight. He gave me Inception, Memento. Those are like his strongest films. I'm like, wow, this this person's going to go on. They're so talented. And then they they turn in their final paper the senior year and it's Tenant. And I'm like, oh, oh, okay, you are human. Like you, you you, do have flaws. Even like Interstellar with all its flaws, like there, there is something about the spectacle of that film that I get absorbed in. And same with Dark Knight Rises. I know not a lot of people like that one, but I, I get absorbed in those films. He's able to give me something to grab onto. This one was a disappointment where Stuart, you called it out earlier in this review. Have someone else go over the script, give it another uh, rewrite. It, it needs it. Toss stuff out. If, if you want to do experimental sound design, that's fine. Let's toss out a bunch of the dialogue scenes then and just get to the more visual stuff. This this is a, it shows me that Christopher Nolan is human. Someone that as a director, like I had a very high esteem. And then this, oh, oh, okay. You can make mistakes, Chris. You're not perfect. I I get it now. So that is why I get so passionate about this one. It, It is surprising how much of a mess it is when it has all those Nolan things that we come to expect, messing with time and and visually like great. Like, yeah, I, I I like a lot of the visuals here, but this story, it's not worth the work and it's not worth experiencing it the way Nolan wants you to in a theater where you can't understand it. So no, I, I don't recommend tenant
3: Stewart.
1: I do have two reviews as well. I have my past review. I have exactly what I wrote when I came home from the theater. I wrote this, the dream is collapsing into self parody. Uh, People ask me what this is about. A lot of stuff moving backwards, colliding with stuff going forwards. Other than that, I have no idea. If we're supposed to understand it, that will take some work. But if we're expected to feel it, that will never happen. This movie is relentlessly unfun. After Inception, I prayed Nolan would land a James Bond movie. After this, I'm so glad that they kept him away from No Time to Die. It's a bunch of scurrying with no emotional payoff Red Arrow.
3: And now I'm going to reverse
1: that to a green arrow and say that I actually think there's a lot of fun and a lot of likability and that you can feel it. It did happen the second time after I put in the work and had the subtitles and could rewind. And I, I do feel like, yes, the experience at home was A breakthrough, frankly, uh, that changed a very dark cloud as I approach this
0: again. Nolan was wrong. Stay out of theaters. Watch movies at home is what you're saying.
3: Well,
1: I mean, I think they could have fixed this in theaters. I mean, I do think that whoever is making these sound mixing decisions really ought to go. Like, you're wrong. If, If you feel like the best way to get people not to focus on your exposition dialogue is to... No. And I do feel like, yeah, there is still a lot of wall-to-wall exposition. I'd rather read that than put my faith in the idea that N- Nolan is a cinematic storyteller and I just need to look at what's going on. That's not true. At least not true in this movie. But I do feel like some of the big problems I had, mostly like that I didn't like protagonists, are solved now. I actually do feel like... John David Washington is giving a good performance and is a spy. I'd like to see have other adventures. And Kat, while I didn't like them as a couple, I do feel like I understood her story more. I just, a lot of things I could appreciate more on an emotional level. Whereas that first viewing was cold, cold, cold. And I do think that, for the most part, the first half is better than the second half, even though the second half is where all the stuff happens. But I think I had more fun in the beginning, and then I get exhausted. It's not one of Nolan's best films, one of his busiest films for sure, but I think it's, I mean, it's a solid
3: recommend. I think it's worth a look, you put in the effort, and you're going to be rewarded. I'm wondering if you're suffering some sort of Stockholm Syndrome, Stuart, and I know from experience that it happens. Last week, we released a review of Golden Year, Stephen King's mini-TV series, Early Cancelled. We recorded that quite a while ago. Schedule Changes, that one stayed in the can. And when I was listening to it before releasing it, I'm like, how the hell was I on the borderline on this? This is bad! Well, the answer is I spent 21 hours watching it three times in a row, and Stockholm Syndrome had set in. But fortunately, I saw clear to give that the red arrow it so rightly deserved. I regret even hemming and hawing about that fact, because this is a movie with no characters. It doesn't meet the narrative minimum for having characters here where a woman is defined strictly by her motherhood and being a s- sexual object for her husband. The child is nothing but an object, the boy's a prop. I don't know that he ever says a line. The protagonist doesn't get a name or a personal story. You tell me he's a spy that doesn't have one. Then show me something that impacts him. That, you know, why would somebody with no human attachment care so much about saving the world? I don't understand the relationships in this movie. And it's because there really aren't any. There's a bunch of actors doing the best they can with a poorly written script. And when I see people praising this film when it first came out... I'm thinking the Emperor had no clothes, and if this wasn't Nolan, if this was Paul W.S. Anderson turned this in, exactly the same movie, people would call it out. I would praise it because he actually used practical effects, and I don't
0: think Paul W.S. Anderson has ever done that.
3: No, I mean, yes, people would say it's Paul W.S. Anderson's best film, but would they... Endorses it you know but this is Nolan and people can't disrespect Nolan and so I think a lot of this praise came from fanboys who were afraid to say the emperor has no clothes this emperor has no clothes and what we're seeing from his crotch is a red arrow pointing straight down
1: And Arnie, you know very well, 24 hours ago, I was agreeing with you. So it's not Stockholm Syndrome. I watched the movie again, and I read the script, and I went, oh, there's a lot more here. I think that I was always more forgiving than I think you are after your first viewing. And I think, in general, I like Chris Nolan a lot more. I like his style. What you see is no characters.
3: His coldness, sometimes that doesn't bother me at all. And I came back to this with a completely open mind on the second viewing. Completely. I'm like, you know, I've had time to think about this movie a lot. And coming back to it, what will I think? You know, it's like you said about Interstellar. I just remember the Murph thing. If I watch it again, I'll probably remember liking... I'll probably be like, oh yeah, I really like the Matt Damon stuff. Yeah, exactly. With Tenet, I came back and I remembered liking some of the action scenes. And on a second viewing... I actually like this movie less because the first time I gave it some passes. Like I didn't quite understand some of that dialogue. So maybe that was the character moment. Now that I've read the subtitles and everything, I realize the, there's nothing here. There's nothing here. There's nothing here.
1: We talked for three hours. There's lots of things. We talked about them. I feel like you learn things in the discussion. I actually disagree with several of your theses about this and I've stated that. Well, I, actually, I didn't get that, but I get that you're very resistant. And again, I'm a little... Uh, to characterize Nolan fans as blind and stupid and slavishly following an emperor with no clothes instead of saying maybe they appreciate things that
3: I don't see in this is ungenerous. That I'm being ungenerous, but I do believe if this was a Paul W.S. Anderson film, the exact same people would be saying different things. I think it's
1: very fair to say that you can be a fan of someone and work harder to like their stuff. You would want to like a new Star Wars movie. Maybe that's a bad example. You would <laughs> yeah. want to like a, more, a new Marvel movie more than I would because you're more invested in it. But I don't feel like people are going to say I love something that they don't. And I did not love this movie the first time I saw it, very clearly. You can hear that in that first review. That was a bad review. But I did see a lot that once I could hear it, once I could read it, quite frankly... I saw a lot in this movie. I feel like there's a lot of cool ideas going on. The fact that you had to read it alone should be enough for a red arrow. And I disagree with that. Movies can have all different ways of communicating their message.
0: This movie doesn't communicate it another way.
1: I Think in in different ways. That's the, the, the tagline they use throughout the advertising. You guys have very rigid ideas about how the movie should be told. It didn't follow those patterns.
0: No, no, no. I criticized it based on how Nolan decided to tell it. I think there was a good way to tell this story. That's not a problem. Again, I I outlined it. If you're going to obfuscate what people are saying, then stop putting so much goddamn dialogue in it.
3: Exactly. If it's saying that muffled audio is as good as heard audio makes me think Nolan's next film should be completely out of focus. I mean, if you're not going to be technically competent in one way, let's go all the whole hog. Look,
1: I know very well that some people lie to themselves and tell something that they don't like that they do. We've all done it. I did not fall for that. I walked out of this movie originally angry, and I get why many people would never like it. it. It operates in a way that is very emotionally cold. It relies on so much exposition that is difficult to process, in part because of the sound design. I, I get why you guys don't like it, but I don't get why you're so angry at Chris Nolan for
0: making it. Because Christopher Nolan says, you can only experience my films in one way, in IMAX, in movie theaters, and then he gives us a product that you can't understand in that format. That is my problem with Christopher Nolan.
1: Okay, but you didn't go to the theater, so, I mean, you did see it at home. I, mean, I did. I have the same problem. I mean, <laughs> I don't know why Jacob's mad about
0: that. He still put out a Blu-ray I can't understand without turning on the
1: subtitles. Maybe that's the way to do the movie. I mean, again, I can't defend the sound mix. I'm with you on the sound mix. I think he was experimenting with the idea that maybe my movies don't need to operate on the expository dialogue
0: language, and they do. I think the experiment that failed here... Did I not just say, I praise experimental films. I name some, Eraserhead, David Lynch. Like I get into that. I don't need plot and character every time, but this movie relies on that and it does not provide it.
3: I'm not afraid to say I need characters who I connect with or at least feel something for on screen. And this is too cool. Did you not like Protagonist? No, I did not like Protagonist. Okay, I never heard you conclusively say one way or the other. I
1: heard you laugh at some of the things he said. I thought you were experiencing like me that he had a more subtle British personality that came through on the second viewing.
3: There were a couple of rye lines that I found funny, but this guy's tabula rasa. This guy is nothing. He's, he's blank. He's a blank piece of paper upon which Nolan has written nothing to give him personality.
1: I think that might be Nolan, frankly. All of his characters, all of his movies are cold
3: in that way. You see, and I think that that obvious save the cat moment at the beginning is trying to put us on his side, and it failed for me. It's too obvious. It's too trite. So let's do the ranking then. Like, th- I'm really curious about this
0: one. This is the bottom for me, yeah. This is the only one I haven't recommended.
1: Here's the way I would go. I'm mostly keeping with where it was before. The three great ones, Memento, Inception, Dark Knight. I think we all agree on that part. My second favorite, the excellent films are, are Batman Begins Prestige. I know we don't agree on that part. Uh, this ranks in the third tier. This is Dunkirk and Tenet. Good movies. I like them. Followed by following Insomnia. They're okay. And then Interstellar and Dark Knight are
3: problematic films. This is worse than Dark Knight, easily for me. Dark Knight Rises? Yes. Worse than Batman Begins. I know you don't like that one. Worse than Batman Begins, yes. Batman Begins has stuff I do like. I just don't feel overall as a movie it holds together. But it has great moments.
0: I I remember you had the same problem with that. You didn't like Bruce Wayne as a character in that one. You didn't relate with him.
3: But it has some great moments. I love the training montages and things, and I like some of Bale's moments. But no, this this is... I've said it. It's not recommend. There's nothing more I can say. I can rewind myself and say it all again if somebody would like. But this is for our listeners. You can move us forward in time. You can move us back in time. You have our podcast to do with as you like.
1: Yeah. In the meantime, we got one more film before 2020 is over. And there's another one that was supposed to go to theaters. I think they claim they are going to theaters.
0: It is where theaters are open.
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't know where you can see it, but I will be watching it on HBO Max. Wonder Woman, 1984, Gal Gadot vs. Cheetah. I feel like these trailers look good. Every time I've seen something from this movie, I'm getting
3: a, like a feeling like they could even improve on the last movie, which was damn good. You know, I do agree they could improve on the last one A lot of times, the second superhero movie is better because you don't have the burden of the origin story. A lot of people think Spider-Man 2 is better. I think most people think Superman 2 is better. Fantastic Four, Rise of the Silver Surfer is better. So, you know, there's a lot of cases of this. I'm hopeful Wonder Woman 1984 is better. I'm looking forward to going back to what is the favorite year of my life, 1984? Really? I think we're supposed
1: to think about George Orwell and like totalitarian governments and stuff. But yeah, maybe we're also supposed to think about Maul here. And
0: I've been thinking about that for the last four years, Stuart.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, we'll see how it goes, but I'm excited about that. And in the meantime, Christmas isn't coming. And so we have a secret present
3: for December patrons. Now, all we'll say is we've been doing a Christmas advent calendar online of all the Christmas movies we've reviewed, like Gremlins and Die Hard and... Silent Night, Deadly Night, and Lethal Weapon, even on Her Majesty's Secret Service. So we're going to end with a 25th movie, a 25th Christmas movie for our patrons. I can't wait to open that present. I think uh, patrons are going to like it. I think so, too. So with that, Jacob Stewart, thank you for going through time with us. Listeners, please, if you can support our show, please do. We are looking at a packed 2021. It's through supporters like you that we are able to do it. I can't say thank you enough as to how much you keep this show going and how much it really means to all of us, especially during this season. So, happy holidays, Merry Christmas, and we will be back soon with Wonder Woman 1984. Until then, our time is up.
2: For me, I think this is the end of a beautiful friendship. But for me, it's just the beginning. Let me get up to some stuff. You're gonna love it. You'll see. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Anything that goes into the record speaks directly to the future. Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for another new movie review podcast. Time isn't the problems
1: getting out alive that's the problem
2: also at our site you can find hundreds of other movie reviews including Star Wars A Nightmare on Elm Street Independence Day The Avengers Films Back to the Future Batman Superman The Fast and the Furious and more we live in a twilight world and there are no friends at dusk Now Playing Podcast is a show without any sponsors or ads we rely on support from listeners like you to keep Now Playing operating seems I know all your my life. You can donate to the show and, as our thank you, receive bonus podcasts. Over 150 bonus movie reviews are available to choose from on the now playing Podbean page, including Alien, Night of the Living Dead, Jurassic Park, Ghostbusters, Indiana Jones, Lord of the Rings, Psycho, Troll, and more. The filthy business that put those clothes on your back and our boy in his school. Find a full list of available bonus shows at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. In this world where someone is claiming to be a billionaire, Brooks Brothers won't cut it. I'm assuming I'm on a budget. You can also join the Now Playing patron campaign through our Podbean site. Patrons of $10 or more get a new exclusive movie review every month. Plus, even more perks, including one where you can pick a movie for our hosts to review. Our clients use us because we have no priorities above their property. Find the details on our website. We're we'll going in. and That's what well helps. You can help us out by leaving us a five-star review on Stitcher, Podbean, iTunes, or your other podcast store of choice. I need your word. What good is someone's word in our line of business? You can follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where we post announcements of new episodes and where the hosts post movie mini reviews. Links to our social media pages are available on our homepage. I'm moving backwards. It's the ball I have to follow. Now Playing podcast is produced by Arnie Carvalho. And he gets what he wants. Not always, party. Associate produced by Jason Latham. Love it, Bill. Now Playing is edited by Arnie. That's the moment with the real power to change the world. Now Playing credits read by Brock. Somebody talked! Who was it? Was it you? The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. Lying is standard operating procedure. Venganza Media Incorporated is not affiliated with the motion pictures reviewed or otherwise referred to herein. Does your head hurt you? Yes. All movie clips and music included in this podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review and no infringement is intended. We have been attacked by the future. Now Playing Podcast is an exclusive trademark of Vinganza Media Incorporated. Now Playing is a Vinganza Media production, copyright 2020. And no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated. All rights reserved.
1: I'll see you at the beginning, friend.
3: And then, yes, I saw it on streaming with subtitles turned way on. Can you turn them more on than on? You can. You can turn them on for the hearing impaired, and you can turn them on just for the language. Yeah,
0: I feel like that's what I need. I, I need <laughs> descriptions. Tell me where Robert Pattinson's walking in every scene. Explain every little bit to me.
1: And it's going to be part of a convoy going through Estonia. Estonia. Uh, You're
3: not going to say Estonia and not make me think of Encino Man. I'm sorry.
1: (laughs) I don't know what that means. Why does it make you think of Encino Man? I've never seen it.
0: Because that's where they say caveman Brendan Fraser is from Estonia. (laughs) The
3: Stone Age, Estonia. I didn't know it was a real country for like 20 years. (laughs) Like
0: Eraserhead, Cats, these are films that like plots are not... The primary thing, but I still get something out of them, even the first time I watched it, and I didn't fully understand and everything, it made me want to go back and watch it again, and and, you're
3: saying this movie's worse than Cats?
0: Yeah, I'm confused. This one? (laughs) Uh, No, I'm saying I enjoy Cats more than this, because that film, well... We'll review it. Someday.
1: God, let's do it next week, boy. You <laughs> please, <cats>. can we? <laughs> I feel like you. You. We, we'll find a way, Jacob. Sometime in 2021, I promise you, we will get the cats.
0: Okay, if we don't, I'm coming from the future to
1: get you. You made that
2: promise. Fair enough.